I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one of Lost in Space. And to do that, we are joined by a very, very special guest in Cameron Williams. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I, uh, I asked you to be on the show after following a bit on Twitter and seeing your initial responses to Lost in Space. We've been planning to do Lost in Space since we saw the trailer. And then I saw your very excited tweets about it <laughs> and thought, ooh, we should get you on the podcast. Um, tell uh, everyone who's listening what you do in terms of uh, TV stuff and yeah, all that. So, or so, just on the weekends, whatever you want. Yeah, usually on the weekends, I'm trying my best to catch up on sleep as much as possible because I'm a heavily sleep-deprived person. But it's because I'm watching so much film and television. Um, I'm a writer and a film critic and I uh, do lots of different stuff for outlets like Junkie, Vice, SBS, ABC Online, Little White Lies, um, Birth Movies, Death, um, and oh, a whole wow. bunch more outlets. So. All right, well, now it just sounds like <laughs> bragging. All right, we get it. Very well accomplished. Yeah, okay, very nice. Um, I think you were on like ABC Radio last night. Were you in uh, Sydney yes, or something like that? Yes, you often hear me babbling about movies and TV and pop culture on ABC <laughs> Radio. So, yeah, um, whenever they give me the call up, I'll always go and chat about all kinds of different things happening in, in pop culture and beyond. Very cool. Um, so, that's what keeps me busy Are you got a do you have a website as well or a blog i think i was yeah today. i first started that's how i first started writing oh, nice. online i had a, a website called the popcorn junkie which is still active now but it doesn't really get updated much because oh, i was reading your <laughs> best movies of 2017 and best tv shows of 2017 yes. yeah i did a list an exhausting list of best tv from last year which um i sent to somebody and they told me it was exhausting so, <laughs> um you can't love everything that's on television <laughs> yeah there's just so much of it now and i think that was proof i think last year when i did my end of year list I was like I'd had made a running list throughout the year yeah, right. and then when it came to actually putting down thoughts on every single TV show I'd watched mm. I was like oh my god this is like a this is gigantic and then I looked at my best film list and I was like <laughs> like the, the comparison now is it's kind of almost like equal in terms of quality and, and the amount of stuff as opposed to like a few years ago you'd maybe struggle to get like 10 or 15 TV shows, whereas now it's like, oh, what am I going to have to it's cull? It's ridiculous. Yeah, trying. I think when we started this podcast, we were stupidly under the impression that it was still like 10 or 15 years ago and <laughs> that there might be a few great nuggets that we can binge watch here and there. We made a mistake. We've made a terrible decision, but that's all right. We persevere. That's right. Mm. Yeah. At least now they're cutting down the episode run. So you get eight to 10 as opposed to a 26 episode season. Yeah, but I'm every lo- episode is 50 fucking minutes. <laughs> God damn it. it I don't is. have the time. 
<laughs> it is, yeah. Every now and then I'll hit play on something on Netflix and then I'll, see, I'll look at the time and I'll go, whoa, they've gone over an hour? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. We've had that a few times. We talked about this last week, actually. Orange yeah. is the new black season finale. It was like an hour and a half. It's like, why? Yeah. Why? It's like, <laughs> why did it be so long? Yeah, what do they do? And then they do sometimes get a little bit flex. I've noticed sometimes you'll hit a 37-minute episode yes. and then you're like, ooh, what? Got, either got cut out of this episode for legal reasons or um, <laughs> maybe their Netflix algorithm told them that maybe in episode six, if we do it shorter, yeah. they'll stick with the show longer. There was one of those in Lost in Space, actually. I think it was one that was like an hour and five and the next one was like 47. Mm. And I was like, did something get moved from one episode <laughs> to the next? Like yeah. what was happening there during the, the pacing of that? Just as looking at that list of all those shows you watched last year, mm. how, how do you do it? Like how do you... I need to know how you do so much. Because the, the whole thing we do is trying to watch a season of television a week, yeah. which theoretically means we watch 50-ish seasons of television a mm. year. It's killing me. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Like when I talk to other people that watch a lot of television, I'm like, are you drowning? Like yeah. I do feel fatigued by it. And if you throw in films as well and podcasts and everything else that you consume mm. and books, oh, remember books. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Um, Once upon a time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I also have children as well. So I am trying to raise the next generation oh, and you're watch a lot of t- humans. I'm raising <laughs> oh, human beings at the same time. So it is very challenging to try and fit it all in. And it's a lot of late nights just watching as much stuff as possible. And I guess. Uh, the ability now to kind of have things uh, available digitally to watch yeah. makes mm. it a lot easier and the ability to kind of watch things in advance and have a look at things and kind of get ahead of the curve a bit. Um, it gets a bit challenging when you're kind of doing week to week and some mm. shows do suffer from that. So I keep a catch-up list and kind of oh, an active so watching list. Right, that's a good idea. So do you sometimes like wait till something's all out and then just try and binge it that way? Yeah, so if there's something where I'm like, oh, I'm going to fall behind on this or it's just not worth keeping up with week to week, I'll just put it on my to-catch-up list. Yep. And then when I've got a little bit of breathing space somewhere while other TV shows are on a break or things are kind of, you know, it's in between, you know, there might be a lot of documentaries dropping, but there's not a lot of dramas or comedy. So that's when I'll go, all right, great. It's time to catch up on season six of this or mm-hmm. it's time to finally start watching this new series or trying to pay attention to to like the vibe of things from the states particularly yeah. i like to kind of pay attention to what's on the chopping block because sometimes you'll start something and go i don't think this is going to survive beyond its first season oh so you might just go this isn't even worth me investing in even yeah. though i might have been enjoying it it was like okay yeah i just shouldn't bother because it's not going to make it past season yeah, one yeah you know i don't know if That's you guys not... get a vibe from things and then you kind of look Definitely. online and see what the conversation is and then or you might start watching something and it goes on a really long break and mm. then you might read something in the trades that says oh, this show might not be coming back at all. And then you can kind of go, sometimes I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, mm. I, can just, I can just chuck that show. Um, and then sometimes it's like you watch something and it's not that great, even though people are hyping it and you're just like, yeah. life's too short. And you just go, that's not for me. And you just kind of move on. I kind of had both those things happen with um, Everything Sucks on Netflix. Yes. I tried to watch the first episode, went, don't think this is for me. Then had a bunch of people start saying, get to episode two and three. Yeah. And then it was canned. And they're not bringing it back. I was like, well, I just won't bother now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not that's gonna happen. The, that's the thing now. And um, it's really rare because a lot of the streaming services keep a lot of their data top secret. Mm. It's very hard to tell what is facing the axe or what's got a future and they do take a really long time to commission things like for example the recent um, revival of Queer Eye yeah um, it was hugely successful in terms of the public's reaction to it everyone's like I love it this is great but it took them like three months to say we're going to make a second season whereas you look at the recent revival of Roseanne they renewed that for a new season off the back of its first episode yeah I did think that was crazy with Queer Eye as well. And like mm. Rick and Morty still hasn't been renewed for season four, yes. which is insanity to me that that hasn't been renewed. I cannot figure out for the life of me what's going on there. Did you, I, know, did you know that? Yeah, I did know that. But I, I mean, 
I don't know. Apparently, I mean, Dan Harmon's hard to work with and it takes forever for him to do anything. No, I can understand true. why they'd be like, oh, do we really want to spend another that. five years to get one season out of this guy? I mean, I want it. I totally want it, but I can understand mm. the reasoning behind it. All right. This is a great conversation. I can't wait to get into our next segment. Let's do Off Topic Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Let's start with our uh, Brian Fuller watch. Nothing. No update this week. <laughs> We've I'm got starting a, to get worried about him. Is he still alive? He's just, I'm sure he's stewing on two or three different shows he's going to leave after one leave, season. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're coming. Mm. Um, okay, so got some quick headlines this week. Sometimes we try and indulge in a lot of news stories. This has been a weird week. I feel like it's more been just like uh, some renewals and stuff have been happening, those sorts of things. If anything takes your fancy, jump on it, add your comments. Otherwise, we'll keep moving. First headline, Fleabag and Killing Eve's Phoebe Waller-Bridge is heading to HBO. I'm so excited. You're excited about I'm this so one, excited. yes? Have you seen Fleabag, Cam? I love Fleabag. Oh, I, I had no idea that this gem existed. You discovered it, what, a month ago? Yeah, I think a month ago I haven't now. got to it yet. Oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good. So excited about the idea that she'll go to HBO yes, and make a new I'm show? I'm incredibly excited. I think there's a theatre production of Fleabag I think happening in Melbourne. Didn't it start as a theatre production and yeah, made it its did. way into a television yeah. show? It that's was what a one-woman show, I think. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Anyway, there you go. That was, that's Half it. That, facts. That's the news. I'm not going to go into any more details. Isn't that exciting? Netflix renews Jessica Jones for a third season. Reactions to You ready for it, Brad, for yep. us to do another Marvel series? Because I'm going to make you do it. You're going to make me do Jessica Jones no, season three? No, I'm not three. that mean, but I'll be watching you it. You could if you really wanted to. I'll see how much I like you by the time it comes around. Have you been keeping up with the Marvel Netflix shows at all, Cameron? I have. I really liked them in the beginning, but the wheels did fall off with the <laughs> Defenders. And I have read a lot no, of... No, how dare you, sir. <laughs> I have. And, 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 and not to mention Iron Fist, which is oh. apparently oh. the most watched of the shows. That's what? Pardon? True. Yeah, that it has the be best. True. It has the best. Take it back. It has. They put a thing out saying that it was the most watched of the bunch. Um, Netflix said, and I don't know if that was just Fake damage. News. I don't know if that was just damage <laughs> control to fight the sentiment against yeah. it. Um, but I did read a really interesting article that about how the Marvel television team doesn't talk to the Marvel film team uh, and how it's they're meant to be existing in the bigger universe, mm. um, but just because a whole bunch of high-profile people don't really like talking to each other, that disconnect has set in, and it's kind of. Now that Disney are going to start setting up their own streaming service, yeah. the, the Netflix Marvel uh, shows yeah, are very much on borrowed time now. Mm. So it's kind of, yeah, it's really interesting at the moment. The I was actually found that out this week about the disparity between those two shows because I was looking into the timeline of all things for the Marvel MCU. Infinity War next week. I'm trying to catch up on Yay. things. And there was something in there that like contradicts timelines and another mm. thing. It's like all very confusing. Mm. Well, it's really interesting. Something that I really liked about the first season of Daredevil is there's a scene where they're in the editor of the newspaper's office and yes. one of the newspapers behind him says um the new york city massacre like referring to the events of the avengers mm. and i'm like holy crap this is the first time ever in a marvel movie where they've actually referenced that in kind of a negative context yeah. they always call it the battle of new york and they make it sound like everyone was rescued and the avengers are so great and then in daredevil i don't know if it's just a subtle diss where it's like oh all these people died and never forget that kind of thing mm. um which really kind of lets you know like the relationship between the tv series and the films but i would just love it if say in infinity war if just as a, a throwaway there was a shot of something happening and it just had you know daredevil looking up and jessica jones looking up and it actually I, invited them to be yeah. Part of it. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. In fact, I've gotten to the point, especially because I'm not loving the 
those shows anymore. <laughs> I'm just happy to believe they don't exist anymore. They somehow just slipped off into a different side dimension of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It just makes me sad, you guys. Because I was so excited and I loved the first season of Jessica Jones. Yeah. I loved it so much and I still do know it's something I think I'll probably rewatch a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, I've watched it twice now, but it just makes me sad because the potential was there yeah. for something oh. really cool and great and meh, didn't happen. Meanwhile, there's rumours that Agent Coulson's going to be in um, the Captain Marvel film. Cool. I'm down for that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's set in the past, so it makes sense he would be there. But it's interesting, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feels like it's, even that's you know, moved on from the MCU as well. Yeah. Anyway. Definitely. Uh, HBO renews Barry for a second season and Silicon Valley for a sixth. I haven't watched either of these shows, but I know you've been watching Barry. Yeah, I've seen all of Barry. I've seen the first season of it and I can see why it's been uh, given a second season. Um, It's one of those shows that is very HBO. It's it's kind of this weird, it's kind of a weird parody of Breaking Bad. Um, Like it's about a hitman that decides to become an actor (laughs) and he is trying to live this new lifestyle of going to an acting class, which is taught by Henry Winkler, who is doing this incredible performance on this show, kind of playing this Z grade actor who was like in one thing, but he's teaching an acting class and he's written a book and he's still going for auditions and it's just a really great character. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a parody of that. All the crooks in it are kind of family men and um, Barry's trying to be a hitman and he's trying to do these terrible things, but he's also trying to be an actor and it's that divide and it's because it's Bill Hader and yeah. he's doing this amazing comedic performance, but he's also giving this great dramatic performance at the same time. Um, it's kind of one of those odd shows that you're just like, this shouldn't work, but it does. Um, and so, yeah, I can't wait to see more of Barry and um, apparently Bill Hader is going to be in the sequel to It and he's kind of... Yeah, I heard that. There's a bit of a steamroll kind of happening with him at the moment. Was Jessica Chastain just recently cast as well? Yeah, so it's her, James McAvoy and Bill Hader that are going to be playing. Way on Idris Elba. That's the one everyone wants. (laughs) You had me at parody of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Like that makes me want to watch this immediately. It's it's not like a direct silly parody. Sure, sure, sure. But it's very much about kind of people trying to maintain everyday lives while there's like Chechen or there's like, I can't remember what country they're from, but they're like gangsters and they're like torturing people in a garage. And it's like (laughs) the the grandma comes in and goes, you're waking the children. Like it's, it's kind of got that odd sensibility to it, but very much it's kind of set within that weird kind of, you know, like, you know how since Breaking Bad, there's been so many shows where it's like, you know, he's, they're trying to maintain normal lives, but they're doing terrible Good things. Good Girls, I think it's the most recent one yeah. that I've been mean to check out. It's oh, sort yeah, of that same, like, that you do one thing and then you got to get out of that one, but that causes more problems and you got yeah. to maintain your family life and your everyday life, but also deal with being a crook and yeah. Yeah, But also it's, it's this weird, pa- it's this weird um, it makes fun of life in Los Angeles as well. Okay. So um, in the show, Barry goes to this acting class and all the actors in it, they're kind of very La La Land-esque. So they're, <laughs> they're kind of all like, They've all got big dreams and they've got headshots and they're all kind of very um, self-obsessed. But they're always going for auditions for terrible things. Mm. So the female character in the show is always... There's a really great bit where she goes to audition for a show or a movie where she has to play like a sexy general and all the women waiting in the, waiting in the audition room are all dressed like in kind of camouflage fatigues and wow. berets but like with like lots of cleavage and makeup and it's just you're just kind of like, oh, what is this terrible world that this 
female character has to navigate, but they're kind of revealing, you know, all that kind of gross yeah, stuff. It's all a lie. So, yep. yeah, highly recommend Barry. It's really good. Excellent. I think we have to do that one mm-hmm. for the show. Uh, Broad City to end after its upcoming fifth season. Sad, but never fear, Abby and Alana fans. Apparently, they're going to keep sticking around Comedy Central and I've got yeah. like three different projects on the go. I mean, sounds good to me. You're a big Broad City fan, yeah? I love Broad City. I'm, I'm happy for it to end, though. I think... Things have a natural lifespan sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I can see the end. And I'm, But, you know, it's great that they're going to continue to work with each other and also doing independent projects as well, which is exciting. Yeah, wasn't one of them recently attached to something Abby's else? doing League of Their Own. That's right. Wow. Yes. It's very exciting. That's a really I'm exciting project. Uh, Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt have reportedly both signed on for Mad About You Revival because we need more 90s television shows coming back apparently. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah. I, did, I remember I did watch Mad About You back in the day, but I was also about eight. Yeah, I remember my parents loved it. Yeah, my parents liked it a lot as well. Yeah. Be interested to return to that one actually, see if that's any good. Would Hel- you be interested in returning? I, I don't that know. One? Helen Hunt, Paul, like they're good actors. I'd, I'd be, be interested, interested in going back and rewatching the original to see if it's as good as everyone says it was. Apparently, like, the first couple of seasons were fantastic, and then it kind of drifted off into nothingness. Didn't it end with them divorcing? Uh, probably. Do they just? I don't remember. Do they just retcon that like they did with John Goodman's character and Roseanne? Or even with Will and Grace. Sure. Oh, yeah, that's true too, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, and finally, last little news story. We'll move on from this. An upcoming Game of Thrones battle apparently took 55 days to film. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was, like, as a headline, I was like, great, awesome. That tells me nothing, doesn't get me excited. That was an interesting well, thanks for repeating thing. it then. I just, I, it's, it was more about the news cycle of Game of Thrones. This thing's still a year away and we're yeah. finding yeah. out like... They the the epicness of it. But the I'm, hype machine. Yeah. The they they stood in Ireland or Scotland? Depends. Iceland sometimes, Greenland I think yeah. as well. It's all over the place. Italy sometimes. Because I know I know the like the outlets are so hungry for Game of Thrones news that they have reporters like stalking out the airports and that's how <laughs> yes. they that's how they got onto the Gendry stuff because he showed up. He oh. was picking up bags from a carousel and people are like well, he doesn't live here, so why would he be here yes. besides Game of Thrones? And that's how that rumour mill started um, right. in terms of his reappearance in the series. Well, after season five, there was a certain character who died. Then there was hair watch on that character because <laughs> apparently it was his contract that he couldn't cut his hair. You and got into a fight with our housemate at the time about I, that situation. Oh, wow. <laughs> sure, yes. The logic of it, yeah. I'll okay. just have to say, I was right. And the <laughs> But that happened again today. The guy who's playing Pod, everyone's looking at like a recent photo and going... Oh, that doesn't look very Podrick-like. He must mm. be dying soon. Everyone's mm. got rumours about when he's going to perish as well. All right, let's move on. Damask, what have you got for us? So I have got Ryan Murphy's new project, which is Pose. It is features the largest cast of transgender actors in series regular roles, as well as the largest recurring, sorry, recurring LGBTQ cast ever for a scripted US TV series, which is pretty exciting. And I love Ryan Murphy's stuff, generally yeah. speaking. What else has Ryan Murphy done? Uh, American Crime Story, which we're going to be doing shortly. Oh, right, yeah. American Horror Story. Is it on Glee? You've definitely watched all of that, haven't you, Rod? All of Glee. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. Like, I tried really hard with Glee just because I had a couple of hot lesbians. So I was like, I'm going to stick with this. I didn't even like, I couldn't last it. Till until maybe the third last season, then I gave yeah. up. Glee was really dynamite in the beginning. Like it was like a it, like because there were just no musical shows yeah. and yeah. no kind of jukebox musical shows. Um, and so as soon as they started, kind of just you got into the what the concept of it was. Mm. Like it was nothing else like that was on television at the time. Well, I really liked it because it was very similar to his. I think original TV show he did um, back in the early 2000s, maybe late 90s, which was called Popular, which was yep. great. I loved yep. that show. 
And so I really enjoyed it. It was, yeah, it was pretty camp and kind of wacky. And then as soon as it became popular for the musical element and for, you know, doing mashups and having these special episodes, yeah. that's all it became was yeah, these yeah. special episodes. And it became really disappointing, unfortunately, but I tried to stick in there. But I'm, I'm looking forward to this new project, particularly because I have finished the latest season of American Crime Story, which I loved. Yeah, I loved it. It's really it good. It was so, so good. I think that's yeah. next week we do OJ. We're, we're, we're doing we're OJ, yeah. One, one after the other, I think. Yeah, it's, it, it's kind of amazing that, um, like, because when they promoted the first American Crime Story as OJ, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be so trashy and terrible mm. and, oh, none of the actors look like the real people and it's going to be so hilarious and oh, what the hell is John Travolta doing? And then you got about... <laughs> Isn't and then, that always the question? Yeah, what, what is John Travolta doing? <laughs> that's, that's a separate podcast. Yeah. What is John Travolta doing? Um, I'm but, stealing that. That could be something but, big. Uh, yeah. yeah I'll join that one. Um, but you got about halfway through and I finally figured out the formula to American Crime Story, which is it's present something trashy with this like crazy cast mm. and then stealthily put in political stuff. Yeah. Right. And what you get is this show that just is kind of this, it kind of is a reflection of what's happening in America. And then I was kind of, after seeing OJ, I was really curious as to whether they could do the same with the second season, mm. um, the assassination of Gianna Versace. And it does exactly the same thing. In the beginning, it's kind of like, hey, this is this trashy world. It's set yeah. in Miami. It seems very, crazy and broad. Yeah, and everything's yeah. very neon and it's like very sun-kissed and you're just kind of like, okay, I can see what's going on here. And then you get about halfway and you're like, he's done it again. He's snuck yeah. in this stealthy stuff <laughs> wow. about American life. And um, and Penelope Cruz is amazing in yeah. it. And, and she, her performance seems crazy. She's wearing these giant false teeth and yeah. she's kind of acting through them. And you're just like, this is going to work. And then you get you kind of start to learn a bit about the relationship between Versace and his sister and how he was kind of setting her up to be um, the head of the company if something would ever happen to him um, and things were happening to him. Um, I'm not going to spoil what they are, but it's really interesting. Cool. And so, yeah, I'm, the next one they're going to do is apparently Hurricane Katrina. Oh. And so well, there was talk, like, wasn't there talk at one stage about doing um, Monica Lewinsky? Like the, yeah. And that's been oh. ditched recently. Okay. They've sort of gone, actually, let's not do that. Let's not try and legitimize, like bring that up again while there's all this stuff going on in the White House at the moment. Yeah. It was like, doesn't seem politically like the best time to do it. Also too, I think ever since Lewinsky did her TED talk and yeah. has kind of talked about how America kind of abandoned her yes. at a time Slut when- shamed her than yeah. Yeah. Fuck off, yeah. And and right now that is very like she's very much now become a figure that is mm. not representative of what happened at the time. So mm -hmm. it kinda it kinda does feel like if you're gonna do that, you would have to somehow do what they've done with the other ones and it's kind of presented as a little bit trashy, maybe yeah. cast someone that looks like Bill Clinton, but not really, and 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 have that but then stealthily put in mm. all of that political stuff. Maybe now is the time to do that story, yeah. though. You know what I, I mean? I think it was – I think, like, you're probably right on one level. It's more about it being a distraction or being, like, I don't know, trying to, like – where it's politically a dicey time where people will latch onto anything and to legitimize their own argument. Don't give the other side fuel at the moment, if that makes sense. Don't keep talking about – because, like, the Lewinsky thing, the, you would approach it now and she – you would be much more sympathetic towards that character, towards her than you, that what happened in the nineties, right? Mm. Having the time, you'd if certainly you, tell a more complex story, yeah. But it's more, yeah. So then, all, all of a sudden, Clinton becomes a much, and everybody around that becomes much darker figures than at the time, as oh, controversial as that was. But yeah. what that means is, like, in a world of red versus blue, meaning black versus white, mm. in a sense, just I don't know. I think they decided just it's just a little bit of bad time but politically. I think what yeah. So it would be so I, I, I politically charged it. right now. I get it. But I don't think, from what I've 
watch with the second season of American Crime Story because I actually didn't finish the first one because I think I got two episodes in and I forgot about it, abandoned it. <laughs> um, Just too many shows. Yeah, too, way too many shows. But I, I think um, with the world, <coughs> excuse me, being black and white, I think it's important to tell those grey stories, which yeah. I think Ryan Murphy is doing through. I agree. And yeah. if it was just us that we're going to be talking about <laughs> it, it's like, you know, or, yeah. or people that were going to look at it through that lens, I agree. It's more about bringing up that issue again. It's going to get more coverage. Everyone's going to have a comment on it. And just everything gets so charged so quickly. Yeah, and so You could really call it like American Crime Story, the destruction of Monica Lewinsky. You could like frame it as like how she went from being like someone that was the victim to becoming kind of the pariah in this story of saving Bill Clinton's presidency, um, mm. which would be a really like in the American Crime Story, if you put that in that box, that'd be great. The problem is I don't think Americans understand that these shows aren't meant to be factual they're meant to be kind of allegories yeah. and that's, that's the thing true. i think a lot of critics in america don't like the second season of american crime story because i don't think they like what's in it and a lot of the show is about kind of like aids um in the 90s mm-hmm. gun violence because you know versace died of from a, a gunshot wound so yeah. a lot of the show it, it kind of places a lot of really difficult subjects within the context of this story to kind of say hey this is what it's like living in america mm. and i think a lot of critics just kind of just couldn't take that whereas i noticed sure. a lot of international critics and people that write outside of america love it because i think we kind of see it that way we're kind of going oh yeah like this is really gnarly and really important mm-hmm. whereas americans are like too too hot to handle at that's the moment. Really I, that, I had no idea that was the response from American yeah, critics. Yeah, I was really yeah. surprised. Yeah, I, I kind of – because, you know, you kind of keep a bit of a temperature check on what the American critics from the, the high-profile publications are saying about things. And I was kind of like, oh, I think they're going to love this. I, like, you know, everyone else seems to. And then mm. I read some reviews and it was just like, nah, not having it. They, yeah. th- you know, too campy and kind of the same digs they always take at Ryan Murphy, which I was kind of like, yeah, of all the shows to pick to do that with, this is not the one. Yeah. Certainly not with the subject matter. That I, that yeah yeah I would I would like it. I wish it was happening. I think it's interesting why they've chosen not to do it. What else you got for us, Matt? I have King of Kong. Have you seen the documentary? Oh, yeah, love it. Of course. <laughs> so this is my favorite documentary of all time. I've seen it countless times. But the news, the news we have all been waiting for. Waiting I've, for? You're expecting this? Yeah. I hoped. Really? This. I prayed for it every night. Yeah. Absolutely. I never thought we were going to see this. Every morning I get up and I Google <laughs> King of Kong Billy updates. Billy Mitchell. Yeah. What, what is happening? It, it, no, what, is the hot sauce going to Are they going to make a King of Kong 2? That's what I want to know. It would be so amazing to do that now. Was it's it? Uh, someone was meant to be doing like a dramatization. Yes, it was going to be, that. yeah, yeah. A, a, an actual like, That'd yeah. That'd be interesting. Well, okay. So this is from... I'm, Grabbing this from AV Club, written by Katie Reif. She says, Variety reports that Twin Galaxies, the Iowa arcade that serves as the centre of the competitive arcade gaming universe, has stripped Mitchell <laughs> of his Donkey Kong High score after yes. finding that he had used emulation software to achieve his famous score of 1,047,200. The ruling comes after a complaint was filed against Mitchell back in February, which prompted Twin Galaxies' months-long investigation into whether Mitchell cheated. And he did. So you're stripped, mate. You're bloody stripped. It's just nice to see a villain lose. Yeah, so just to clear this up a little bit as well, if you haven't seen The King of Kong... Watch it. And you should go and see it. Watch it. It is about Steve Wiebe trying to achieve... Oh, Steve Wiebe! Uh, or legitimise his the score, getting chair. a high score in... in 
Donkey Kong, the arcade cabinet original game. Billy Mitchell, this guy who sort of comes in and there's a lot of questions placed around mm. where the legitimacy of Steve Weeby's score. He tries to do it for in a tournament live so people legitimize it. He, I think he does he achieve that and then like immediately afterwards all this mysterious so tape happen- from Billy yeah. Mitchell shows up. So yeah. Weeby does get the right score. <laughs> he does. And then Twin Galaxies like because they're pretty much Billy Mitchell's minions. They're like, no, like we think you use like a compromised machine. You got to come down to Iowa and do it in person. So Steve Weeby, this beautiful man, takes his whole family down on the crappiest vacation ever to Iowa. So they're off having fun while he's sitting in this stupid arcade and he works so hard and he does it and he gets the score. And then fucking Billy Mitchell comes along and he's like, well, he doesn't come along actually. He He gets one of his minions to send a videotape of him beating Steve Weeby's score. He was just waiting for Weeby to like – Beat him so he could top him with a videotape. Yeah. He's just evil. He's an evil man. Would you call him the, the Trump of video games? I did call him the Trump of video games because <laughs> it's true. And it's nice to see him lose. So, yeah, this is this is huge news. Uh, if you, Well, this was interesting, right? I listen to a lot of video game podcasts as well. There's yeah. one I love called DLC, Jeff Kanata and, um, and Christian Spicer do that one. And they had a guest, Andrew Renee, on, who I like a lot as well. And they were talking about this. And for some reason, they started off dismissing why people were interested in this at all. I was like, A, did you not watch this amazing documentary? How could you not care about this? But B, they were talking about how these allegations, you know, if we, that hasn't been proven yet 100%, even though the score had been taken off him at that stage. They were just trying to like tone it down and not let Billy Mitchell's reputation be tarnished yet. I'm like, guys, guys, (laughs) Billy Mitchell... This was uh, a long they time coming. They must have seen the doc go because there's like no it. way Jeff Kanata would ever try to salvage this guy's reputation. Well, I just thought it was really interesting people who were doing a video game podcast saying, well, why is this important news? It's like to that community, to the people mm. who do this, the amount of effort and work that goes mm. into it, this is a big deal. It's made bigger, obviously, the rest of the world who's seen the documentary can now. But to try and say that well, this isn't – why is this blowing up while they're doing a video game podcast where they're talking about reviews of God of War – which only matters to people who give a crap about that. I just find that really weird sort of reaction. Unless, unless the conspiracy runs that deep in terms of... <laughs> it, like, it, I was wondering that too. Yeah, are they because, on Billy's side? Yeah, are they getting sent boxes Elite of hot media sauce? media with their fake news. Well, he's saying he's got a reply. He's got a response, Billy Mitchell. He reckons he's going to prove that just it was... Just make your barbecue sauce, your wanker. Did you see how they proved as well that he'd... Uh, been using an emulator. No. It was. It's the nerdiest little thing. <laughs> it's like on the recordings, you can see the levels loading in, and only when you do it on emulation, it loads in a certain way. There's a little artifact that shows up on one of the like girders. Oh. If it's on a legitimate machine, it doesn't happen. That's but on so certain exciting. versions of Mame, the emulation mm. software, it shows up that way. And so they showed that was on the VHS recordings. It was weird already. They didn't have sound. They were just without sound on mm. them and all those sorts of things. They've just gone, looked through all, a bunch of these scores and said they're all wiped and you can't submit scores anymore. Well, even in the documentary, and this is probably edited to look at this way, so who knows if I it's know, actually you true. Seem, you seem very invested for, but, for a, a <laughs> probably very specifically cut, edited documentary. But yeah, but like on the tape that he sends in, it's like there's a score and then there's like, because it's an old VHS, there's like a yeah. jump and the score changes and it, it's freaking doji. That wasn't even the thing that... I know. Up. That's I not know. even a thing. How crazy Ugh. how crazy is it that there like before the age of Twitch that that was how you registered your scores like you had to have a v, you had to have a, a VCR video camcorder or whatever it was and these guys are filming things and sending them in. Like how many people got records that were just that knew how to edit before anyone else could on those devices yeah, and were just true. 
getting scores like like crazy. It was interesting as well. I went deep on this. I wanted to know all about how this <laughs> happened. And they talked about how Billy's things were unusual to begin with because normally what they would do is have the recording set up and then as soon as they got the score, they would go to their machine and record the inside of the cabinet so you could see that it was uh, a real motherboard and stuff like yeah, that. Right. And his ones don't do that but because he was he doesn't s- have to, so invested in the – he's so embedded into that mm. community, he just got away with it. Ugh. Amazing. Cameron, what have you been? Uh, <laughs> what have you got for us? Uh, I think my, mine kind of tend a little bit towards uh, the film side at the moment. That's but, fine. Um, I read today that apparently uh, Steven Spielberg's going to venture into the DC film universe. What? Yeah, and, I read this um, too. He's going to make a, a film adaptation of the comic book Black Hawk, which is apparently about a bunch of pilots during World War Two that are fighting like super-powered Nazis or something like that. Um, but, of course, everyone was kind of mad online a little about it going, oh, why is Spielberg heading towards the DC film universe? But everyone's kind of pointing out, World War Two, duh, like this guy yeah. loves that. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, like, it's really interesting. Spielberg's kind of decisions of late have been quite interesting. Um, <laughs> have you seen Ready Player mm, One? Unfortunately, I have. <laughs> unfortunately. So I haven't seen it yet. I've sort of been wanting to go to it so I can have an opinion on this. Yeah, I think, yeah, look, it's um I, I was really into kind of his political trilogy. I really liked Lincoln. I really enjoyed Bridge of Spies. Oh, and I, I did thought, not like Lincoln at all. Yeah, Bridge of Spies is good. I saw that on a plane once. Um, and, and look, I, I liked the post for what it was, but um. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed kind of what he was trying to do with those three films. And then when he's like, I'm going to do Ready Player One, I'm just like, oh, like, interesting. Um, and having seen the film, it's really fascinating to see him kind of beg at the altar of pop culture. Mm. And, and and it's really weird watching someone that's created some of the most iconic moments um, in film and just like his, his, his contribution to pop culture. He's, I was going to say, really one of the godfathers weird. really of modern day pop culture yeah. when you think about film Jaws and mm. Indiana mm. Jones and all that stuff. Yeah, it's really weird watching him try to kind of backslap all this other stuff, including his own work. Yeah. Um, even Oh, that's weird. But yeah, and it's really odd. He doesn't need to be doing that. Um, and, and then so to hear that he's going to be possibly producing and adapting this. I mean, this is like long way away because I think he's remaking West Side Story first. And Indiana Jones 5. I think Indiana they're supposed Jones to be filming 5. in the same year as yeah. well. Oh, I'm so, exhausted already. And also too, um, just as a reminder to everyone, I think Open Call for Auditions is still out there for the West Side Story remake. He's actually getting people to send in tapes to auditions That's for right. the roles. So if you want to send one in, um, I highly recommend doing that. Um, <laughs> are they still are they doing brown faces for this one as well? Or? <laughs> I just want to know how much fake tan to buy. <laughs> Yikes! Um, yeah, I think that's why they're doing the open casting call because I think they um, I think they trying to actually find people rather than um, kind of whitewashing this one. Yeah. To Good idea. Um, but yeah, Spielberg doing a superhero movie in the DC universe. I just don't know what what they're doing at the moment. Do you think they'll? Do you think they will incorporate this into the DCEU though? Like, do you no. think they'll try? I wouldn't have thought no. so. Because I think we've got Ava DuVernay's New Gods, which is kind of that's coming came out of freaking nowhere. That, came that out one. Of and and to bounce into the next story, apparently um, they've hired Kathy Yan, who's an up and coming director out we of Sundance. We were Sundance. just <laughs> talking about this okay. before podcast. So they've hired this director who's had a film that's come out at Sundance this year. That doesn't even have a distributor apparently. Doesn't have a distributor, but she's doing what they do. It's this is a classic move by Hollywood, and I don't yeah. know why anyone's surprised by this. But Sundance has always been a nursery for people that make one film, and then you get given a hundred million dollars and you make something. So what Colin Trevorrow did, um, the guy that made Jurassic World, he went from safety not guaranteed to directing Jurassic World. Yeah, that's true. Um, and a lot of dudes have made the leap, and now they've finally chosen a, 
a female director to mm-hmm. do that, which is fantastic. She's going to be making a Harley Quinn film, which apparently mm. is going to be – they've said it's based on Birds of Prey. Yeah. But it has the same screenwriter that they've recently hired for Batgirl. Yeah. So it seems like what they're going to do is use Mar- Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn as a gateway into Birds of Prey that then can be a, a slide into Batgirl. I, I just love that they keep doing this, though. They keep doing this backwards, I feel yeah. like, DC, where they go, let's introduce the team first so everyone gets used <laughs> and then we'll do their individual spin-off films. It's like, can yeah. we just get the individual characters first and then mm. yeah, do, it the, do it the Marvel way? That worked really well. It's such an odd way of doing things. I had a friend that actually wrote down on paper all the individual DC projects and drew arrows between them to try and figure out how they're all connected. And it looks like a nightmare. It just looks like they're just trying whatever they possibly can. I can't figure it out because Shazam is being done at the moment. I think Aquaman's coming out still. Flashpoint is meant to be happening, but uh, who knows where that is. Then you... There was Gotham City Sirens, which was the David Ayer one, which has yeah. disappeared. Which I think is going to become this project. Which is now possibly becoming Birds of Prey, which was meant to be the Batgirl film or the Harley Qu- or Suicide Squad 2. Plus, it's just like, now you've got Blackhawk. Who even knows where that fits in? Yeah. Like, the, it's so ridiculous. I know Marvel's got a million projects going on as well. But it has a consistent kind of timeline yes. and they work in phases. So it's like these four yes. films exist to service this much bigger film that's coming. It's almost as if Marvel plans it. But isn't there meant <laughs> to be, who's meant to be doing the new Batman film as well? Uh, the guy who did the oh, last... Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves from the Apes, the last two Planet of the Apes films. Oh, He's meant right. to be doing that as well, which was originally meant to be Ben Affleck directing and writing. <laughs> oh my God. It's so complicated. Will like, Superman ever get a film again? I don't even know. Yeah, and also Man of Steel is still in play. Man and I had, I had a rumour a long time ago that they had actually offered that as compensation to George Miller to direct. Really? Um, but he is suing Warner Brothers at the moment That's right. for unpaid royalties from and all kinds of weird legal stuff for Mad Max Fury They Road. came in under budget <gasps> and they were meant to get a bonus, bonus for that. But now that Warner Brothers are claiming they didn't come in under budget and so there's a big legal dispute. Actually, that's being it's right now. done in Australia as well. Yeah, I it's think. in Australia right now. And apparently, and they, you can see that they're kind of playing the media with this. In yeah. the, They've gone out and said well, this legal case is holding up the two Mad Max sequels I had planned. Yeah. And then everyone's got all the, everyone online's like, give me those sequels. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's like, make sure justice is swift with this one so that I can get more, get me some more Mad Max. So um, yeah, but who knows what's going on there. But yeah, apparently Man of Steel 2 is also meant to be happening. Do we want more grumpy Superman? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a no from me. Okay, that was fantastic. I really lo- enjoyed that off-topic, off-topic. Was there anything else? Uh, Look, I just want to make a really important announcement and take the opportunity to be on this podcast to not only thank you guys for having me on, but to also announce that Vin Diesel has purchased the rights to the Triple X franchise and is going to make Triple X 4. Yes. So the return of Xander Cage, he came back. He now actually <laughs> owns the rights to the character and he can now do whatever he wants with it using his millions and influence. So we're going to get another Triple X movie, which after seeing the return of Xander Cage, which I think managed to be kind of the genuine dumb, stupid blockbuster of the year that Fast and the Furious 8 wasn't, um, this has got me really excited. I saw your tweet today <laughs> as well about the uh, Australian beer uh, 4X yes. as well. Do you think they'll do a crossover? That could work Possibly. out. <laughs> yeah, because everyone's going like, how do you do triple X4? And I was like, well, you just add an extra X and make it 4X. 4X. Just call it 4X. Uh, but yeah, this is really exciting. For anyone that loves, you know, land skiing, uh, jet ski races, um, just Vin Diesel without... You know, what are the, those tank tops that he wears? Uh, yeah, the triple X franchise has become quite a fascinating treat and um yeah the fact that we're going to get more of these movies is hilarious now i have never seen a a triple x you yes. call it triple x um, that, that is correct excellent now 
you've kind of convinced me to start watching them. Should I be very drunk? Yeah, oh, it? definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely okay. too drunk yeah. minimum. That, that's right. Um, that's and what you I have to know that the first Triple X, it's Vin Diesel, and then his ego became too big, so he didn't come back for the second one. But oh, then they hired right. Ice Cube to be the new Triple X. Interesting. And then you get Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, mm-hmm. which is the latest one, which I highlight. That's actually a four drink minimum. Okay. Um, and then that'll get you primed for Triple X 4, which will be coming out very soon. Does he own Riddick as well, that character? Is that his as well? I feel like that's his. I think so, yeah, which would explain how that sequel got made. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Could we have a Chronicles of Riddick and Xander Cage crossover? Yeah, definitely. I want that. Yeah. Chucking Groot in there as well. As in Prince of DC Elements. Oh, it's like going to be an Eddie Murphy film? The Vin Diesel Cinematic Universe. That's what I want. Yeah, definitely. And also I mean, you have to you have to remember too that um there's going to be that spin-off of the Fast and the Furious with the Rock and Jason Statham which has caused a rift between yes. all of them. So I can I can see why he's doing this. He's like, "Well, if you guys are going to have a spin-off, I'm going to continue my Triple X franchise without you guys." <laughs> that, you know, I Look at me now, Dad. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly what he's doing. And I think it's going to be really fascinating because we're going to have this kind of war of the Fast and the Furious (laughs) triple X spinoffs. Yes. um, Which I think is really fascinating because it's a war between giant muscular men with that look like giant babies in these movies. (laughs) So it's like The Rock versus Jason Statham versus Vin Diesel in separate movie franchises. I'm kind of like, you know, this is is a monster we've created. Yeah. And um, we're going to have to watch them fight each other now. I look forward to it in a big way. Okay, let's get into our season in review. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Lost in Space is a Netflix original, dramatic and modern reimagining of the classic 1960s science fiction series. Set 30 years in the future, the original was set in 1997, the Robinson family are selected to make a new life for themselves in a better but far off world. When their ship is torn off course, they must work together to survive in a dangerous alien environment light years from their original destination. The series is written by Matt Sazamar and Burke Sharpless, known for their work on Dracula Untold and The Last Witch Hunter, with Zach Estrin of Prison Break serving as showrunner. Lost in Space stars Toby Stevens, Molly Parker, Taylor Russell, Mina Sundwall and Max Jenkins as the intrepid Robertson family and are joined by Parker Posey as the enigmatic and unnerving Dr. Smith. Season 1 premiered in its entirety on April 13th, 2018 and consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 55 minutes and took us approximately 9 hours and 15 minutes to watch. So before we get into our review, I just want to ask both of you, what's your relationship to the series of Lost in Space in terms of the original television show from 1960s um, and onward? Damask? I have very vague memories of watching reruns of the original show. Oh, you actually watched reruns? But reruns. I didn't like it because I could tell it was an old show. So I was like, this is a boring. <laughs> it's in black and white. Yeah, I'm going to watch around the twist. <laughs> um, and with the movie, even as a child, I knew that this was not for me. Um, I just remember it being like really dark and not what I wanted out of a sci-fi film at the time. Because I know sure. it's just a, a kid. I certainly think I would have preferred this version of Lost in Space as a kid. Yeah. What about you, Cam? Yeah, as a kid, I remember it on TV in reruns, but I think I knew the 
robot more than anything else and the mm. whole all the danger will robinson whenever you watched a, a t a montage on tv that was like the great shows of all time that was always featured it was always like danger will robinson and i was like oh that's a, that's lost in space um but i never kind of watched the episodes and and followed the story and knew who the characters are. i think i knew most about lost in the space from the simpsons i was gonna say there's that bit where they go to a convention or something and the robot yeah. and mr smith are there <laughs> yeah or right. dr smith are there yeah there are a lot of lost in space references throughout like the entirety of the simpsons and so i think that's that like like with most of pop culture that is a weird way into stuff from the past but i definitely do remember the film from the 90s which i saw several times in a cinema because when i was a kid if it was in a cinema and it was a movie i'd go and see it multiple times if my parents let me and i remember seeing that and it was such an it's such an odd film because it's got a kind of fascinating cast it had like william hurt in it Mini, uh, what, what's the Mimi Rogers was yep. in it? Lacey oh. Chabert, who was kind of at the height of her Party of Five fame. Yes, oh. yes, yes. And then it had Matt mm. LeBlanc, and yep. it was his all the friends cast all went and did rom-coms except for him he went and did lost in space yeah. and they were pitching him as an action hero yep. and i just remember kind of going oh like e- even as a kid going like this does not work like <laughs> joey is not a-, a muscle man um and yeah and even uh, gary oldman is in it as well he's dr smith isn't he yeah he's smith and i didn't even know who gary oldman was so I think a lot of people, maybe at the time, in the same way with the TV series, I'm going to get into this in a sec, but maybe at the time people were like, oh, Gary Oldman as Dr. Smith, this is going to be great. Um, But yeah, I think, and it's got all those weird like mechanical spiders in it. And anyway, but I've got these weird memories of the film. What I remembered most about the film was though, there was this this kind of dance band act at the time called Apollo 440 that did the theme song for Lost in Space, which was kind of like a real earworm. I remember downloading that song off Napster after I saw the <laughs> film and, and playing it out of my Winamp player because I was such a hip, you cool kid. Rebel, what, what, how cool was your Winamp player skin, oh. by the way? Was it like really like gritty <laughs> and matrixy? I, I remember I had the, the original orange default oh, setting. Wow. But then I remember the day that someone said to me, hey, man. You, I think this was over ICQ. Someone said, hey, man, do you know you can change the skins? And I was like, What's a you skin? are blowing my world. I think I changed it to like a weird, like, matrixy. Like, yeah, looking they were one. all like that, like, weirdly mechanical, like you're on the Nebuchadnezzar yeah. from the Matrix or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I remember, like, best. every time you opened your Winamp, you were just like, you'd look around and be like, it's pretty like, badass. Anyone younger than us listening to this is going to have no idea what we're talking I about. I do want to dive down this rabbit hole just a little bit. I saw something recently of people, like, showing their old Winamp skins, I remember. And then, do you remember being on forums, everyone had their, like, signature things down the bottom, like an yeah. image that mm. they would have made with, like, Photoshop. Or they yeah, would have and, used, like, like, six hours of, like, oh, hard work. Oh, amazing. <laughs> You'd have, like, your whatever your tag name or username was yeah. and then some weird quote from the Matrix mm-hmm. or from something like that. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like oh, when... The 90s um, are the best. Yeah, I can remember <laughs> the first time someone told me that you could um, embed a song on your MySpace page oh, to yeah. play oh, whenever someone visited oh. it. Let it's, me express my feelings. <laughs> You could just have this song and it's like, this is who I am. And it's like, okay, great. I've got a big thing at the moment that like with all the controversy around Facebook at the moment, I want to ditch Facebook, but Messenger is really important to me. Like I use Messenger a lot with Mm. group chats. Yeah, a lot of your secrets are there. I, (laughs) I would love someone to make an app, like an iPhone app that is like MSN 
Messenger. Oh. That's the same <gasps> like, like an look. emulator? Like just it looks like yeah. that, functions the same way. I can yeah. make my name with all the symbols in it and stuff. Oh my you know, God. go offline, online, nudge people, like all think that what stuff. Lyrics I'm gonna put in there. Exactly, um, right? Yeah. That's all I want. That's I so want, good. I want so, that. I, all my friends would use it. So the yeah, best. they're all the memories. So that's the that's what Lost in Space triggers for <laughs> me. All of those memories. Yeah, let's get this back on track. But um <laughs> that's what Lost in Space kind of triggers for me more than the TV show itself. Yeah, no, for me more than anything. Thing, it's definitely the movie mm. and weirdly like the mcdonald's toys like i kind of remember oh, like the yeah. robot from, i remember the robot really yeah. clearly because the robot doesn't it like change in the sh- movie or something yeah, like it does, gets a bit better of. as it goes along or something yeah, like that or kind of. I remember will it just like being controls it at some stage yeah yeah I All blacked right. it out, I guess. I have no memory of anything. I just remember being scared, but I was scared a lot as a kid, so who knows? Well, I'm gonna let you start then, Cam. Can you give us your spoiler-free review? of Lost in Space, the Netflix original series. Yeah, so this uh, I thought this was a really slick space adventure that kind of retools the premise of the 1960s TV series, um, but without any kind of nostalgic throwbacks. So mm. it's never really ever going, hey, remember Lost in Space and constantly winking at the audience in the way that a lot of shows based on older properties do. Kind of forges ahead with telling a new story. And I think what I liked about it the most was I like how it kind of frames what a family is now in 2018 versus what a family was like in the 1960s. So mm-hmm. in the 1960s, if you look at any stills of Lost in Space, they're all like huge, giant smiles and it's big, colourful costumes. I kind of like how in the new Lost in Space, we meet the Robertsons, but they very much have modern problems and they're very much a family that is going through um, very kind of modern problems, you know, the breakdown of the family and what's going on with mum and dad and, and the kids are kind of bickering and they very much felt like a real family. Yep. And I kind of liked how the concept put them deep in space, but they still were having all the same reoccurring issues. And, um, yeah, I think it's kind of a really great space adventure that has this interesting family dynamic at the heart of it that is also challenged brilliantly by Dr. Smith, who we'll get into talking about a bit later. Oh, yeah. All right, Damask, what about you? What's your review? Now, as a Slytherin, <laughs> I didn't think I'd enjoy a show about a family of Gryffindors. But I, <laughs> oh, they so are. They are. They Ooh. are. But I did. Um, and, you know, nostalgia actually did play a big part in my enjoyment of this show. But it wasn't nostalgia for or throwbacks to the old series or for the film, uh, the 90s film. It was actually more this nostalgic feeling I had for... For when I was a kid watching sci-fi movies and TV shows, that sense of excitement and adventure. And this show is an adventure. Um, you know, there's a lot happening <laughs> in this first season. Uh, you know, we've got the Robinson family pummeled with unfortunate events, but they persevere and often triumph because of their resourcefulness. And I loved how each individual had their own type of brand of resourcefulness and I used to love books and movies as a kid that had characters my age who were resourceful Mm. who weren't just the problem or didn't have some kind of superpower to help them out they had to use their brain and what was around them to kind of get out of tight spots Um, now I do wish we spent a little bit more time on character moments that allowed us to breathe a little bit and delve into the psychology of our characters um, but, you know, I mean, we get glimpses of it throughout, which is nice, but I would like a bit more of that, particularly when it comes to the character of Dr. Smith. But like you said, we'll get into that later. Um, and the show is given life by the actors. I was blown away by the performances, particularly like in the pilot, the kids. I was like, oh, thank God. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's I've always got, a risk, isn't it? I've got a real problem with child actors, particularly American child yes. actors. It's like they all go to the same like stage school uh-huh. and they have this precociousness that drives me insane. But these kids don't have that. They seem real and relatable. And I think I would have loved watching them, once again, if I was a kid watching this show. Um, and the dynamic between Robot and Will is at the heart of this show. Obviously, it draws from things like E.T. and How to Train Your Dragon and all like all Iron of those. Iron Giant. Iron Giant, all of those kinds of stories, which I love. Mm-hmm. I love those yeah. stories. Like who didn't want to be that special kid who, you know, happened to find an alien that wants to be its best friend or a dragon or whatever it might be. Like, we all wanted that. Boy and his robot dog. That's what Ex- we always exactly, want. Exactly. So, I mean, this, I think this show is infused with fun. It's advent, It's an adventure. Um, but I, for the most part, I think it's pretty well balanced. And I really enjoyed it. It's a bit of fun. What about you, Brad? I, I'm with you. I enjoyed the season a lot. Uh, based off the trailer, which is the reason I wanted to see it initially, was just the trailer came up out of nowhere. Didn't know it was really happening. I had no idea it was happening. Because you, I think you were the one that went to me first. And just like, can we watch this? Mm-hmm. And just was like, based off that, hoping it would be a fun family space adventure. And that's the series we got. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be happy with that. Um, I think also, like, I totally agree with you on the family side of things, the family dynamic, the character work and the focus on them as a family unit is really important. Mm-hmm. And the adventure side of things is 100% true. There, there are a lot of exhilarating moments and some really amazing, like, tense set pieces I love that mm. is, we'll, we'll get into a bit later. But also, I just thought, and I know this is becoming normal now to see television be so uh, such high production quality but it's beautiful this mm. show yeah. some really amazing yeah. imagery in this i was like money i like I, I, the cg is great there's a lot of location work which is fantastic the sets are pretty great the props are good the costuming is pretty great the music i thought was really really great at times mm. um and it's not quite like game of thrones level of cinematography yet but it's not far off and the thing to me that the thing, especially television, I find the action set pieces can very often just be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I know what you're going for, but you didn't quite reach it. But there are some really thrilling moments. You were talking about, um, yeah, how, how thrilling or adventurous it was. Mm. I just reckon everyone should just watch the pilot because I think yeah. the pilot is a really good job of showing you what the show is going to be about. It sets up the family drama and the character dynamics, and it has some really great thrilling set pieces in there and gets pretty scary and tense yes, actually it does. I, mm. for a show that could very easily be very family and I think it still is there was a lot of times I was going this is crazy like this mm. is really scary and intense um, and that really impressed me a lot um, yeah and I agree with you about the performances I also think the character like I agree with you about the characters not getting enough some characters not having enough time to delve into them as deeply as we'd like mm. to. There's a, there's a, one Robinson in particular I think gets short thrift and <laughs> another one who starts off good and then gets sort of pushed into a, a story I wish they weren't pushed into. Yeah. Yeah, no, they mean. sort of mm. suddenly become about someone else's story yeah. more and it's like, oh, that's a shame because you had your own stuff going on. Yeah. But the parent stuff I like a mm-hmm. lot mm. um, and Will and the robot in particular I like a lot as well. Um, yeah, so overall I was I was really happy with it. I thought it was a really, really fun adventure show. I'm looking forward to more. Um, let's get into spoilers though because there's lots and lots to talk about. Before we do that, what's your score out of five, Damask? I think I'm going to give it a 3.5. 3.5. Yeah. 
Do I have to give an explanation? Not really. That's fine. <laughs> okay, Cameron, no. are you into scores at all? You don't have to give one. Yeah, if you no. Want it. I, I think if you know, with, with thinking scores, you know, I'd probably give it a four. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, it's yeah, it's right in that sweet pocket. It doesn't kind of go, doesn't kind of achieve greatness in its first season, like many, not many shows do. Mm. Um, but it's definitely like one of the perfect starts that you'd want, especially based on an older property um, because we're seeing so many revivals at the moment that are coming back kind of zombified mm. um, and this one kind of comes back so fresh and different and it just forges ahead with something new um, that you've kind of got to give it credit for just the, its ability to retool an old concept and, and make it fresh. Yeah, I think one of the – because I was – it's very close to giving it a four, but considering all the shows we've done before, I was really trying to kind of see where it fits in the whole landscape of television yeah. now. And I think I just, like maybe my expectation is too high, but there's a certain level of texture that wasn't there for me, particularly when it came to character. Mm. That's where it lost the We've literally just come off me. reviewing The Wire. <laughs> you know, yes. we've, we've been to this the top. True. So it, you're coming down, yeah. it's a bit hard to, to keep hitting those scores. I'm giving it a four as well. I'm going to qualify it as a lowish four. Like I could see it going to a 3.5 as well. And anything above that starts to be like instant classic for me. It's not there yet, but it could certainly become that Ooh, yeah. as I'm the show goes the forward. It's a, it's a really bold place to be. Mm. But I sort of like to qualify that four stars is excellent with five stars being masterful and three stars being decent. So this is this was excellent. Like overall, it, w- it was excellent. Not perfect. But excellent. The last question before we move on. Should our listeners go watch the show or just keep listening to the podcast? Spoilers be damned. Obviously, go watch the show. I think you should, yeah. It's on Netflix. You've all got it it anyway. Go and do it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, let's get into spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning, on this episode we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Lost in Space. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Lost in Space up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead, you have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. A cute American family sits around a table playing Go Fish. The older siblings are cheating because that is in their nature, and as the youngest, I can vouch for this. It seems to be a pretty tame evening in until their spaceship... Oh, did I forget to mention that they were in a spaceship? Anyway, it collides with some space debris and is flung straight into the path of a big planet. Luckily, this planet is pretty darn similar to Earth with its oxygen and gravity and other handy life support necessities. The Robinsons decide to wait around until they can be rescued by their mothership, the Resolute. So all they have to do is sit tight. 
Except, whoopsie, Judy somehow turns herself into Mr. Freezer's wife and gets stuck in a giant frozen tube. Now they have to beat the elements as they try and find a way to get her out before her oxygen runs out. Also, Mama Maureen has broken her leg, so Penny has to perform surgery, which is not something she's great at, but thankfully she finds a very informative YouTube tutorial. So now she can not only save her mum's leg, but she also knows how to contour. Technology is amazing. Will figures out that they need magnesium to melt the ice, and luckily there's a mountain full of it just around the corner. So Papa John and him venture off, but silly Will falls down a well and ends up in a forest. Poor John has to prioritise saving Judy, because let's be honest, Will was probably not meant for this world, he's far too cute and squidgy. So John tries to save his eldest, but things just get worse when it starts to rain. Yikes. Will, while taking a leisurely stroll, runs into first the legs of an evil robot and then the torso of an evil robot. They bond over their love of alien bugs. Then Will saves the robot's life and they become best friends forever. Just in time too, since Judy is just about to cross over. The best friend robot melts the ice with its magic heat mittens and everything is okay. Also, a sociopath called Dr. Smith has crashed on the planet with a guy that is charming. I guess. I don't know, he fluctuates between smarmy and clingy to me, but I'm sure some people get a kick out of him. They battle the elements for a while, and they even save a chick too. But then Dr. Smith is sick of Don's incessant talking and bails. I don't blame her. So she leaves him for dead and hitches a ride with the Robinsons. Turns out Dr. Smith is actually a lady named June who lied her way onto the ship in her sister's place. She also killed a dude that found out who she really was. I like a woman with blind and murderous ambition. The robot enjoys spending his days playing catch with Will, but he gets a little stressed every time Will is near a sharp edge or a body of water or in a moving vehicle. He's like a new mum, really. So what does any nervous mother do? Make your baby a gun, right? I mean, I'm not a parent, but that seems right to me. Turns out there are a whole bunch of survivors because the Resolute was attacked by Robot and maybe others that look like him, I'm not entirely clear on that. But Robot was definitely there and smoking bitches. Is that a term, smoking bitches? I don't know, but it sounds cool. Anyway, so Will hides Robot so everyone doesn't freak out and create a Frankenstein's monster type situation. The survivors try to build the Tower of Babel in an attempt to contact the mothership. And Maureen is getting her Elon Musk on and building a sports car for space. Once she's up there, she figures out that the planet they're on is headed super close to the sun, thanks to a black hole. So they only have a couple of weeks before everyone gets a little too crispy. The Tower of Babel attracts some hell beasts and everyone is in danger. So Robot saves the day as per usual, and now everyone knows about him. Everyone is a little uneasy, which is the kind of situation that Dr. Smith really enjoys. She skulks around numerous corners whispering, Someone should try and kill the robot. Then she enters the scene saying, Did anyone else hear that? It's an old trick, but it works like a charm. The chick Dr. Smith and Don saved in the desert takes the bait, and with the help of the gun the robot made, decides to shoot up a storm. She almost kills John though, and the robot gets angry and everyone gets scared. So Will makes the decision to tell Robot to walk off a cliff and die. Which is so fucked up and I don't know how to contain my sadness. I mean, I get it. 
Will has to be responsible for this being that is also a weapon, but, like, it's sentient, you know, and, you know, it exists and it has life. I don't know, it was just messed up and I'm just pretty sad about it. Judy and Don are off finding fuel so the Jupiters can jet-set off the planet and join the Resolute. And while there, Don finds out that Dr. Smith is an imposter. Also, there is a weird dynamic between Judy and Don that makes me very uncomfortable. I wish they'd make it clear that there's more of an older brother thing, because right now I'm getting some romantic undertones and it is gross. Maybe it's me projecting, though. I don't know. I mean, am I the creep? Oh, let's move on. On the way back, they lose most of the fuel because Judy has this annoying habit of saving people. It sucks, but it's also kind of beautiful, even if it is naive. So now the survivors don't have enough fuel to go back home. When they get back, Judy tells her mum about Dr. Smith, so they lock her up quick smart. Good idea. So the only option left to the survivors is to strip one of the Jupiters down, send John and Don to fly it practically blind, while Maureen directs them from the planet. It seems like things might work for them, but Will is an idiot child that is dealing with a whole lot of sadness and guilt, so he's easily manipulated by Dr. Smith, who convinces him to let her go. So as soon as she's free, she whacks Maureen over the head and kidnaps her, leaving John and Don to explode in the sky. R.I.P. Dr. Smith wanted Maureen to take her to the alien ship to find a way off the planet. It doesn't really work out for them, but Dr. Smith manages to reprogram Robot to be her minion. They all go back to the Jupiter. Everyone is sad because Dad is dead, but Will has hope and beeps every five seconds, hoping to hear a beep back. And he does! Turns out John and Don survived. Seems impossible, but sure, why not? They're just out there floating on some space debris. Good for them. The survivors have found a whole lot of poop fuel so they can all leave the planet. They all zoom off, but Maureen wants to save her fella, so she starts a nosedive back towards the planet, which triggers Robot's protective mode, and he locks himself and Dr. Smith in the hub. This almost gives Maureen enough time to save John, but just as she's about to, Dr. Smith figures out how to break free because she's a speed reader with excellent comprehension. Everything goes nuts. Maureen tries to blow Robot out of the ship, but then another robot joins the fun because they have an alien engine as part of their cargo, which makes it seem as though it's going to be good night for the Robinsons, but then robot number two tries to hurt Will and our robot remembers him and saves him. But then everyone is about to suffocate because the airlock is messed up. So Will, now having matured into a fully grown, I don't know, 11-year-old, is he 8? I don't know how old these kids are. And so he jumps onto the outside of the ship, closes the door, and then climbs to a hatch. But old Butterfingers doesn't last very long, so he drifts off into the abyss, just in time for Papa John to catch him. Where did he come from? Good question. Turns out Dr. Smith sent another harpoon to save him. Why? I guess she's only a bad guy when it directly affects her survival, which makes sense to me. Maybe I'm a sociopath. No, no, it's not possible. I cry in every episode of Grey's Anatomy, so probably not. Everyone's safe and the Resolute has waited for them. The end. Nope, 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 nope. The alien engine apparently has a mind of its own and starts running the ship. And it sends it to a whole other galaxy. I think. I don't really understand space. Either way, there is... Danger, Will Robinson! The end! 
deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. I just want to start again. I already mentioned this talking about the pilot, but just for me, why the pilot impressed me so much because so often pilots can be so hit or miss or be fine, especially in retrospect, but didn't get me invested straight away. So anytime a pilot just makes me go, oh, I'm really into what's going on here. Mm. Um, And so all the stuff that's happening with the crash landing beast being so exciting and then you've got this, like, why is uh, Judy not taking John's hand? Like, what's going Mm -hmm, on there? And mm -hmm, you can feel mm -hmm. the tension between Maureen and John and then you can see Will struggling with, you know, he should be able to... He's been asked to jump in and, like, do the thing to save the Jupiter and then Judy has to go and do it and then her getting frozen in ice. Holy crap. Yeah, that's terrifying. That That close-up shot. That close-up shot. Just the watching the ice freeze around her and chase was like... Yeah, that's really well done. Really well done. And then when it caught her, it was like... Can't believe that they actually did that. I can't mm-hmm. believe she got caught. Do you know why? Like, you, I think I figured out why all that stuff is so terrifying. It's because the pilot was directed by Neil Marshall, yeah. who has made a whole bunch of horror films, including oh. he made The Descent, which oh. is that one where they go into that cave and there's those odd creatures. And he also made Dog Soldiers, which is that really great werewolf film where a whole bunch of um, military types get stuck in kind of a cabin in the woods while they're on like an expedition. And uh, yeah, there are werewolves. So I think a lot of the terrifying stuff that they injected into this episode was definitely his sensibility. He did a couple that of Game sense. of Thrones episodes, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did the Blackwater episode of Game mm. of Thrones. He's also done episode. episodes of Hannibal. He's done episodes of um, Westworld. Uh, and he's also directing the reboot of Hellboy. So this is what he was doing while that project was getting together, which has David Harbour from Stranger Things. That's going to say, so yeah. Keeping it in the family. There's the Netflix connection <laughs> right there. Uh, that makes a lot of sense and is really effective there as well. I th- they've chosen well. I also like that they didn't put Dr. Smith into this pilot episode really as well. Yeah. It's like it'd be very tempting to just put that element in there and start incorporating that soon, but to keep her out and just let the characters you know rub against each other and have friction that yeah, way. Yeah, let's see. Was let's very meet smart. the Robinsons before we meet their foil. Yeah, absolutely. Good. I really like that. Um I like to sort of talk about series often going through characters one by one. Mm-hmm. I, there's not too many in this so show. So can we just go back to the pilot? Please, yes. When I was doing research for this show, many times I was reading reviewers and a lot of comments as well who didn't like the pilot, which mm. was shocking to me. Yeah, really I, I thought it was well paced. I was on the edge of my seat. I, my girlfriend came home like halfway through and I was like, can't talk to you watching Lost in Space <laughs> Pilot. I'll see you in half an hour. Yeah. Like I was in it immediately. I was fascinated by the dynamics, the questions that it raised. I was excited by the resourcefulness I was seeing. Mm, yeah. Uh, how everyone was so intelligent in their own individual way. Yeah, I, I was in it. But there are a lot of people that thought it had serious pacing issues. They had problems with the science, which I will never have a problem with because I don't understand science. Yeah. But anyway. Mm. The, the thing it reminded me the most of, it reminded me of the pilot of Lost. A lot um, of people have compared this to yeah, Lost. Yeah, very, but not just like Lost as a series. Obviously, as it goes along, gets a, a lot stranger. I think strange. Yeah. I think um, Lost in Space keeps. I just love that though. It's just Lost in Space. Yeah, <laughs> but they uh, Lost in Space very much commits to its kind of science fiction adventure aesthetic. It's not gonna, I guess, unless they start getting into kind of like alternate dimensions and mm. and odd things, which happens later in the series. Um, and you know, mirror person, like it could go weird if it wanted to. Sure, but the first season doesn't do that. Um, but yeah, the whole opening sequence with the crash reminded me a lot of Lost, but also the, the scene that stuck with me the most, and I think it's very much the template for what the series is meant to be, is the first time we meet the Robinsons, they're playing a card game yeah. in Zero Go Gravity. Mm. And it's such a, fa- it's like a really family thing to do. Yep. Um, 
in the midst of something terrible happening. Mm-hmm. But immediately it's kind of like, this is the show that we're making. It's yep. a family playing a card game while a ship is crashing. And you just kind of like throughout the series, every time something was happening where I was like, is it working? Is it not? I just kept thinking about that card game. And I was like, no, this is the show. This is what they're trying to achieve. And it's working. This is what's happening. I read a criticism on Twitter. Someone saying this show can't decide what it wants to be. It can't decide if it wants to be a gritty reboot or a space adventure show or a family drama. I was like, can't it be all of yeah, those things? Yeah, it is all of those things. It's and all I of think those that's things. why I really enjoyed it. Yeah, because yeah, I got a. They're all three things I like, and but, I got a bit of everything. Well, that was I just could, I was looking at coming going. I, no, I don't understand how I you could find we want to be that limiting. How that can be a problem if some of those elements feel unbalanced next to the others. But I think all of that was consistent and balanced throughout for the most part. So it's not a huge, it certainly wasn't a problem for me. Yeah. And it, it makes sense when you think about the when they start, and I don't think they do a lot of this, but I think they gave enough of it to you, for you, to give you the context for what was going on. But whenever they flash back to life on Earth and you got to kind of see what was going on, I think the fact that they've only set it 40 years in the future makes it feel really close to our own timeline, mm-hmm. but also just out of reach for some of the sciencey stuff for them to kind of get away with going, oh, the turbo thrusters and the engines, and you can kind of go, yeah, okay, I buy that. It, yeah. The flux capacitor. It's what makes time travel possible. <laughs> and I think when I saw that stuff, I, it made sense. I'm like, yeah, of course, they're colonizers. They're people that are going to go and set up a colony and a new earth. And you get to see kind of what the goal is. Where um, One of my favorite scenes throughout the series is where they're on the ship and a video starts playing where it's like, colonize now. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> start setting up your colony. And it's Welcome re- to your new home. Yeah. yeah. It, and it says, you are the best of the best. And it reminded me a lot of a display home video yeah. where it's like, welcome to Dream Street. And I was just kind of like, yeah, it makes sense why they would send families up to recolonize a new planet because if you just sent up a whole bunch of random people um it wouldn't work so the fact that they're all like highly intelligent families going up there to to establish this new colony and and procreate and whatever is going to happen but it totally made sense so when if i read people that are mad online about like oh i don't understand why this is happening i'm just kind of like it's it's a show about people that are colonizing a new planet so of course there's going to be a lot of families and there's going to be all kinds of different dramas happening on well that was the other comparison to lost is like it as he said it's the crash landing it's like all these survivors and then that becomes a big part of the show towards the middle is when you start seeing the other Jupiters are all mm, and then yeah. the politics that come from that and the danger with the robot presents or how they're going to get off the planet and then when things go bad and people decide to you know go and do it for themselves that I can't I don't remember the bag the guy's name the leader guy uh, oh, who was like was that with V started with V Oh, that his was his was. son, was like Valjo. I think the other one remember. was V as well, but it was just like that guy's sort of everyone thought he was. Um, he was in charge of everything, but pissed everybody off. And that just ongoing dynamic was interesting as well. Very lost to see, you know, all the survivors trying to make this work together. And also, too, I think something that I think a lot of haven't seen a lot of people point this out about the show, but I think the ability for them to kind of say there's all kinds of different families and they're all meant to colonize this planet enabled them to make the show quite. Uh, inclusive and there was mm-hmm. lots of yes. different there was lots of different families it wasn't like you know the Robinson is, Robinsons are as kind of white bread and American as you can kind of get as, mm-hmm. as a whole group um, you know we do have some mysteries around one of the, the family members and, and you know I think that was something that I really wanted to know more about I yep. was kind of like what's going on there mm. um, and and how does that fit into kind of this modern family that's, yeah. that's been established um, but yeah I think the show has kinds of all kinds of different um you know, it's it's a it's a show that has actors of color and it has all kinds of different people coming together in a way that I think if this was on like a mainstream network, all of the families just would have been white families. Totally, and it would have just been the most kind of white show ever. 
The other show that I did end up comparing it to, or at least seeing some similarities to, was actually Stranger Things in the sense that it covers the same sort of demographics. So Stranger Things has sort of got those three, you've got the kids, then you've got the teens, and then you've got the adults thing mm. going on. Mm. And I think that happens here as well. You've got your Will and the robot, that's sort of your kids, like, you know, your boy and your dog's story going on. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the teen drama that Penny and Judy are sort of having on their with their romantic interests i guess Mm. and then you've got the parental uh more adult sort of uh drama going on as well which is something i've always liked about stranger things combine those things and i think makes it more appealing to a broader audience yeah i can see why netflix went can we do another one of those can we get another (laughs) one that's like this big huge demographic appeal i think that's what they're going for there as well and was pretty successful overall i thought um, yeah, so I like to go through these things sort of talking about characters. I often find that if we just focus on one at a time, mm. we end up talking about everything, including the story. So let's start with John, uh, the leader of the, the mm. patriarch. The Papa Bear. Papa Bear of okay, the Robinsons. Okay, so yeah, can we, is, is, he, is he like a hot dad? Like is this, <laughs> is this a thing? Because I actually when I started watching this show, I said, oh, I think he's a hot dad. Like I think there's going to be like memes about this guy and whatever. And Are then you feeling like unrealistic expectations as a <laughs> yeah? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I yeah. mean, as as a parent, you always want to be on like a hot dad blog, like or you hope <laughs> someone will take a photo of you and you'll be like hot dads at Disneyland. But you know yeah. that might not happen for me, and I'm starting to get used to that. Um, but so, uh, a friend of mine uh, said, "I don't think he's a hot dad," and then I was like, "Whoa!" Like, so I was like, all the meme stuff fell apart. So. <laughs> Yeah, is I, like I, do you think people are going to like is is he there to be that magnetic kind of like daddy presence? Does he feel that way? I think his relationship with Maureen makes it difficult to be that because One, there's I think so much friction between them. Yes, he's a hot dad. Yeah. yeah. Um mm, yeah, I don't yeah, I'm not sh- do I but he's no, he's not just eye candy. He's but he, I don't know it's an interesting role for John to be in because he because he's not the head of the household. No. no. Maureen's the head Absolutely. of the household. He has been relegated to Uncle Dad, who just <laughs> kind of like, oh, can you fix this? And then he fixes it if he knows how to fix it, though Maureen probably knows how to Actually, Maureen knows how to fix it. She just tells him to fix yep. it. Um, which is very interesting. When I started watching this show, I was like, this is a dynamic I haven't seen before. And yeah. so it's interesting to watch this strong kind of, alpha dude that we would expect yeah try to figure out how to be in a family where that role isn't open to him yeah mm. just find a way to get back into that family at all it yeah. seems like he's just sort of pushed his way <laughs> yeah. in trying yeah. to figure out how to get back inside uh. i found i really really enjoyed and i mean to talk about john we really should be talking about maureen as well here um his big thing is yeah obviously he's the dad who went away uh, decide to dedicate himself more to his job as a soldier rather than protect his family once shit went bad um, on Earth. Uh, and then obviously Maureen um, had to take up, uh, look after the family that way. Something that I found really interesting when you talk about him being a soldier is I thought that militaristic side would take over a lot more than it did. I know, me too. And yep. I found that, that the actor was like a lot more kind of sensitive towards that. And I think maybe it was intentional that the show didn't want to make that contrast between, you know, science and military. Mm. Um, but he definitely, he gets a lot of bits where he's like, he's the man of action. But as you said before, he's more 
um, are ut- he's more like a utility than anything else. Like, well, Maureen's there- got that training as well, which is interesting as well. They don't separate them in that aspect because she's obviously got a history of working in the military too, yep. which I thought was really good. So it doesn't give him that and just say, oh, that's his role. Yeah. It can't be. Maureen's got uh, Maureen's got that as well, which yep. I thought was really good. Well, he might have yeah the brute strength. They yes. all have at least some sort of combat training. But a part that I really liked, because obviously we first – we know him to be the army dude and then Judy goes through this experience that seems to have given her some sort of PTSD mm. and immediately his role as army dude is not overtly just, oh, I'm the brute force. It's the, oh, I recognise that as a soldier. It gives him another level of like sensitivity to his kids that Maureen doesn't seem to have, mm. which is a nice access point. Yeah, it's interesting that as well because they they really start off with obviously Maureen and John have a lot of friction, but Judy in particular seems to be very, very standoffish with John as well. Mm. And so Judy gets that PTSD type storyline early that yeah. lasts through the, probably the first three episodes yep. realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does seem to bring them back together to a point at least. And it doesn't end up being a lot of drama from then on between those two characters. And unfortunately for Judy, I quite like Judy. She's obviously, you know what, she's 18 years old. She's a brilliant doctor already. Um, she's, yeah, just trying to to get through that PTSD situation. And then all of a sudden her storyline becomes about trying to make Don a better person. Mm-hmm. I found that a little bit frustrating and disappointing that – she has these moral quandaries in terms of the big one is when they have the tanker full of fuel mm. and it falls on the guy and then she decides she's going to save him Terrible despite decision. the fact that, well, you know, <laughs> interesting point. But also, she's young. I forgive her. Gets Don involved in that as well and it's all about trying to make him make him a better person, make realise that he cares and he's actually got a sensitive side and all those sorts of things. Yeah. I, I found that frustrating that that's what she got relegated to. What, I'm not sure what her growth was What I found on. frustrating about that storyline was that – the very, at the very beginning when we meet Don, he is like, oh, I don't care about anyone. Five seconds later, watch me care about someone. <laughs> so immediately we know that he cares about people. He doesn't really need to grow. We, know, we already know through that scene where he and Dr. Smith are going through the desert together that when the chips are down, he'll do the right thing. Yeah. It's, that's established immediately. Yeah. There is no character growth there really. Yeah. We already know that about him. So I thought it was a very weird. Don Don is the Han Solo of this. He's the the faux Dameron. Yeah. I heard someone say faux Dameron. He's <laughs> he's not Oscar Isaac. You know, um, he is. I think I actually thought that actor was so charismatic though. Um, his voice. He's kind of got that um, gravelly. He's it's a gravelly voice, but it's kind of a comically gravelly voice. So it's mm. kind of like take me serious as a masculine guy. But when you when the reveal that you find out that he's a smuggler. Um, is kind of revealed and that he's not everything. And I think a lot of the show is that it's kind of this person isn't who they said they were, which we're going to get to soon. But um, I didn't expect that twist from him. I kind of thought he would just be this kind of like jocular kind of character. Mm. Mm. But then when you find out that he's like self-interested and he's got a lot of other things going on, it kind of makes sense to pair him with Judy and she's kind of going to humanise him a bit and kind of go, well, yeah, you can be better than than just your selfish ways. Um, But yeah, I felt like she was kind of, 
it kind of threw away a lot of what was going for her in terms of being very capable and very being very smart. But you have to remember she's 18, so... Well, speaking of the age, what's the age difference between these two characters? Inappropriate. Very, very... And I Problematic, also felt, right? I also mm-hmm. felt that the actress that played Judy did not look 18. Like, no, I had she to keep 16, right? I had to keep I reminding... Because like, when all that stuff was happening and, you know, she... um And, you know, she could have been like 48 and, and she could have aged magnificently um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. she would have just completely sold it. But I just kept thinking... I kept putting her together with the teens i didn't realize yes. that she was like technically on the verge of becoming adult yeah, yeah no it's one of the few times i've seen yeah in an american out. show in which the kids look look the age that they're meant to be like yeah. you don't have a 35 year old playing an 18 year old yeah and i know like in the original series don and judy get together yeah I be- I I beg the creators of this show, please don't do that yeah. this time because it's, it's. You don't it's, think that's where they're going the with it? The optics look. I think they are, but I'm saying the optics look terrible. Yeah, it looks really. He, he's a 35 year old man yeah. at yeah. least, and she looks like an 18 year old. It would make sense to like in the first episode of season two to have them go. Like get to the point of that, and then go like, "This is a terrible idea," and then just drop yeah. it completely, back away. and then That'd put her back in the teen, young adult group. Yeah. You know, like, and just have that be like that thing. Because I actually found Penny and Judy's relationship in terms of like knocking heads together, and kind of you know, one being the the, the smart kind of intellect one, and then the other one being the street smart snarky mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Um, I actually felt their relationship was so much more interesting. Where I was like, mm-hmm. put them together. Yeah. And also too, they kind of acted like real sisters do yeah um and so that dynamic i was like explore that more like pair them together like put them in situations where their ideals have to like clash because yeah just putting um judy with don all the time and having him be all like you can't resist this and she's yeah. being like i'm too smart for this um yeah. <laughs> that is that is just that gets really boring really mm-hmm. quickly yeah i understand like why for a lot of this we have to separate many members of the robinson's family because really the crux of the issues is is a lot of the time miscommunication about yep. what's happening. So I understand why structurally we have to do that. I do think, yeah, having Judy's storyline revolve around – so like we said, the two those two sisters together, yep. very interesting dynamic. Then we – to separate them, we put them with men. With boys. Yeah. With boys. And mm. we've got Judy trying to fix Don and Penny – I know, wasting her time with that flaccid nothing. That's Who the cares one that upsets him? me the most. Yeah. <laughs> because Penny seems to be a force to be reckoned with. Penny was She's, like, in terms of how it was written and performed, yeah. like you sometimes you get those characters who equip machines and you go, that can be annoying. I roll, yeah. But I didn't find that with her. I found her, she definitely fil- fitted that uh, teenage girl role oh, really yeah. well. Uh, beautifully performed, yeah. really entertaining the, the whole time. I think the performance sells it. Uh, yeah, well, she's it, great. As m- normally the case, it really comes down yeah. to performance to make the lines work. And she does. The problem is, that as much as I enjoy every time she's on screen, I didn't feel like she, there was going very far with her. They weren't giving her a lot to do. Yeah. The big drama for her was, for the most of it, oh, I like this boy. I'm trying to deal with yeah. that. Oh, no, I've told him a secret. Yeah. He screwed me over and I don't need you anymore. I, I was wondering if the journey for Penny was meant to be, she is this bookish, almost kind of Daria-esque person Mm. who just lives in her books, that's her life. And then through, you know, Judy going through her shit, she has to kind of step up a bit. And so she finds a way to make her own adventures happen mm. instead of just but that wasn't the journey. That I thought maybe that might that have been kind the, of went there in like episode two. That's what that's what I mean. I mean 
maybe that was like the vague outline at the beginning, but yeah. it never really took off. They never really went there. But I, yeah, that was maybe a sketch at one point. But yeah, there isn't really an arc for Peniel yeah. that much. Yeah. But then I did find, and we'll circle back around to Maureen now, because um, have, we have to talk about the great Molly Parker. Oh, yeah. um, so good. Because um, I actually found the casting of Penny and Maureen, they look so... It's amazing. They look perfect. <laughs> like I was like, that is your daughter. Like adopt yeah. her into your own family. And um, <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> their dynamic was really great because Maureen expects the best of everyone and it's like she's kind of like that real tough mum. She's like mm. it, when you look at the divide between uh, Maureen and John is that I think John gets away with being the cool parent a little bit in, in the relationship and sure. then Maureen's kind of like the one that's like, I'm oh. I'm the one that always yeah. has to be the bad guy. Well, John yeah. gets to come in once every six months and be like, hey, yeah. I got you presents and daddy's yeah. back. Yeah, and, and, I reckon, and I reckon um, through Molly Parker's performance, you really feel that a lot. Like she mm-hmm. does this thing where whenever she's in scenes with John and he's doing things or they're bringing up stuff from their past, she does this thing where she's really warm and then she'll like say something and then she'll look off to the side. Totally. Yeah. And you can see <laughs> the that bit she's When like, they're trapped in the dish is the perfect oh, one. It's just, it's yeah. just them in the dark basically and you mm-hmm. see and they'll be excited and she remembers, oh wait, I don't like you at the moment. Yeah, and yeah. she switches and it's it's amazing. And it's for anyone that's been in a long-term relationship knows that that happens a lot. And um, I, I really love that about that performance. And so you can see that when she's talking to her kids, she's kind of like, oh, she's expecting the best from them. Um, she wants them to be perfect. And then obviously we find out that one of them is a weak link in the chain, which is Will. Mm-hmm. And we find out that she's bribed her way into getting him onto the mission, which I found was really fascinating Very for her character. Do we, we didn't find out. I'm just making sure I didn't miss anything. We didn't find out who that was she no, was talking to, didn't. did we? No. Or even exactly what the information was she was passing no. on. No. no. So, to be determined. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think um, that's probably going to be tied up in 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 the the christmas comet or the christmas media or whatever it was mm-hmm. that was powering the the mm-hmm. ship um but yeah i just found i thought she, like something i really liked about the series just in general was there was a lot of smart and capable female characters mm-hmm. but they were also vulnerable so something that i really hate in pop culture is uh, for a long time it was like a really popular thing the strong female character yeah. um but then the, i found there's so many of them that they become boring because they have no vulnerability or they have no emotions well, strong female characters sometimes just became i can be a male action hero as well yeah mm-hmm. like i can just you know do the guns and do the punching and yeah. be like lara croft sort of i think the angelina jolie yeah. sort of yeah. like tomb raider films yeah and stuff i think like a, that. i think a, i think somebody wrote an article and they called it like the trinity syndrome and trinity they, syndrome they that's interesting it, way of putting it and they kind of like used the matrix as an example yeah. of that yeah. um but i found that maureen was a really great example of how you do the strong female character yeah. but also make them a person yeah and well, make them yeah I, I think that says more to a problem of just strong characters in story in yeah. general is that like often with strong male characters they have no vulnerability yeah it's like well that's the actual issue is like yeah. let's make our strong characters you know be humans, like yep. you said, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I really found like as the leader of the family and as this kind of astrophysicist and all the things, with, you know, she kind of is a bit of a MacGyver at times where sure. her ability to build a hot air balloon that yeah. can go well, into the low atmosphere. She's an engineer, isn't she? Yeah, she's an engineer first, I think, is, yeah. the, is the big thing, yeah. Yeah, but I just, I loved her problem solving and yep. you know the, the, as the series goes on each episode is kind of like if you were to watch it week to week it was like problem of the week but if you're binging it you don't notice it as much but every episode is like how are they going to get out of this one and oh, it's yeah. kind of like out of the frying pan into the fire stuff and I, love, I so, loved that stuff yeah. though so often we see that she's doing things by herself because she's gotten used to that she's yeah. been a single parent for so long so it makes sense for her to 
obviously she doesn't worry want to worry anyone else, but also because she knows that she can do things by herself, which is great. Can we just talk about that the whole like uh, it's complication of the week sort of thing as yeah. well? Mm. Mainly because I think that's becoming a lost art form because so it many is, stories yeah. are trying to be these like almost like long movies that are just broken up into bits mm. and they forget to make each episode stand out. Yeah. Whereas you look at the titles of the episodes and most often they're vaguely talking about the, what the problem was that week to some degree. But I just look at all the different scenarios here and to, to centre every story while there's still the family drama around some exciting problem that needs solving. It, I love yeah. that that's coming back. Mm. And they did a really good job of pairing the problem with whatever the emotional yes. pain was. So it's kind of like, you know, to use... Um, uh, Judy is the example. Like, obviously, her, abil- her ability to overcome the PTSD yep. is linked to something from her past or it's linked to something that she's gone through before. And so, I think each problem is... Cha- and I guess all the problems that John and Maureen face, it's always about trapping them together in a small, confined space. But it happens like them. three or four times. Yeah, it's kind of like... it's kind of <laughs> like. And something that I really loved about the show in general was that if you look at the mission and John and Maureen, it really is their last chance at making their marriage work. So it's kind of like that terrible thing that couples do where it's like, we're going to go away on a big long holiday or a road trip. (laughs) A couple's retreat somewhere, yeah. try and make it work. And if it doesn't, (laughs) then we'll come back and we'll break up and it'll be all over. So... Sad then that they can't come back and break up. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess we're going to live together anyway. Yeah, they're doing this across (laughs) the universe, which I think is awesome because it kind of, the stakes of that is so huge Mm. that when they're in these confined spaces, you're rooting for them. You're kind of going like, oh, I really hope you guys can make it work because otherwise you are trapped on a planet. (laughs) And there's no, like, John, you can't go back to the military and Maureen, you can't go back to being the single mother. So it's kind of like, I think you do end up kind of cheering for them, hoping that they stay together. And, and it's weird like I'm thinking about romantic comedies now I'm kind of thinking like that's something that we, we're used to in that space kind of rooting for two people to get yeah. together mm. um, and yeah I think you get that from Lost in Space from like this weird kind of parental point of view. It's, it is fun coming from a, from a relationship that's already broken up pre-story though as well. Yeah. And like starting in that point where there's just lots of tension about these people even being together. Yeah. And then finding out, so what John, because there's lots of mysteries yeah. about like what's actually happened there. Why is Judy so cold to John? What did John do that's so bad? Because like, you keep thinking like, oh, he's had an affair yeah, or blah, blah, blah. And you make you make assumptions because mm. you think you know how these stories play out. I certainly did. And then like, you know, he just went and invested in his career and his job instead of in his family when this yeah. huge event had happened on earth. Yeah, once resentment's there, it's hard to get rid of. Yeah. And, and I just, yeah, I just really liked revealing those layers and then being a bit more subtle than I thought they might be, honestly, mm. and not as dramatic as, say, an affair. And then yeah. having, you do start to root for them. Yeah. I think, go, yeah, a part of me was waiting for the big reveal yeah. of what had happened. And then when we get those quiet moments, like, I really enjoy the quiet moments that we do get with John and Maureen. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of like talking it through. And it's like, oh, wow, that's actually quite amazing. It's not a big dramatic moment that has split these two up. It's really we get to study the slow degradation yeah. of a marriage, which is how it usually happens. I thought the flashbacks were used really they were limited and they were tastefully used. They were never mm-hmm. overdone. They were just enough to give you a hint as to what was going yeah. on. They didn't go they didn't go overdo it or over explain anything. They just go, Oh, I understand yeah. now what the feeling was yeah. there. What the- With episode lengths of 50, 55 minutes, I was worried that if we're gonna have flashbacks, those flashbacks are going to bog down the Could story. become a lost scenario where yeah. I mean, not that it bogs it down necessarily, I think it works well in lost, but that it could really heavily rely on them like Lost does. Yeah, and even like a mess with the pacing, if yep. we've got a lot of action happening in the 
the present and we're going back where people are just having conversations about things but it never re- it never felt like that to me I I think it added what it needed to add a little bit of extra extra context but like you said they were so short that it never really disrupted the story that it was telling in no. the present I like the little glimpses of of Earth that was in yeah, a way as well. I liked it a lot. Because mm. it was, I loved how familiar it was, as you said, the setting it only 30 or 40 years in the future. Yeah. It does feel very now. And that the, there's just little things, like wearing the mask to have to go to the shops. But the shop feels the same when you're yeah. in there. Yeah. TV still seems to function the same. The media's all functioning the same. All that stuff. She goes, Judy goes to Life work goes and does on. her job. Yeah. yeah. The well, world is fucked, but. <laughs> yeah. But also, too, you get a lot you get a glimpse into the world in the way they talk about it. And so one of my favorite lines is where they're talking about, I think one of the kids says, um, you can go and look at it in a bookstore. And then one of them says, you've never been to a bookstore. They've been closed for years. And I'm just like, and then in, I was kind of like, that's just a piece of dialogue, but that helps build the world a little bit bigger Mm. because you kind of are thinking, oh yeah, like if it is in the future, yeah, maybe that doesn't exist anymore, which is another reason to leave earth. Um, because there are no bookstores. That sounds terrible. So um, (laughs) I don't think I could live in a world where there are no bookstores. So it's, um, and then, yeah, there's another line where Maureen says like the, um, oh, when we left the governments were stable again. And so you get a real sense of kind of what life was like on earth Mm. and why they have to leave. And I think one of my favorite lines in the series is where Maureen says to the kids, the reason why I'm, we're doing this mission is because there's not a life for you here on earth. There's not much life on earth in the yeah. future from like the yeah. government's point of view. For the next Robinsons. Yeah. I thought that was like, yeah, like it's probably like the last generation of Robinsons or yeah. maybe there might be one more, but there's like life apparently is not particularly sustainable. Yeah. It's, and that's great. And also too, I got a real SpaceX vibe from it. Like it kind of, yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, I was waiting for them to introduce some kind of like Elon Musk character that was going to be like, <laughs> this is my plan. And I was going to, and it was going to be like, oh yeah, this is cool. Um, and who knows, something like that could happen in season two. But it definitely, yeah, the timeline definitely felt right on. And when you start thinking about the problems in Lost in Space, I couldn't help but think, oh my God, like it's so close to our own problems that that's where the kind of sci-fi is coming into it. That's where it's kind of putting that out there of like, oh, yeah, what would happen if we had to leave? Yeah. Um, how would we do it? And then you start to kind of contextualize it and then you think about our time and you're like, oh, wow, like it's really hitting home pretty hard, this show, in a way that I didn't expect it to, mm-hmm. like as it went on. I was just thinking, it just hit me then actually when you were talking about how recognizable it is and stuff. You're right, the Elon, the SpaceX vibe to it, the NASA vibe to everything is really yeah. smart just to keep everything in that aesthetic as well. Well, but the, the design specifically was based after a lot of – uh, NASA's designs for things because yeah. they wanted to keep it. And I just really, it just occurred to me then that so many sci fi shows that even go just a few years into the future add, start adding holograms and stuff like that. Yeah. Like everything's got to be like, yeah. that's not what it is. Everything is still practical. There's a million buttons and switches and stuff. Mm. Actually, something else that I was meant to write down as well often we talk about a sense of place. Yes. We talk about this a lot and like the idea of. We like Serenity or Firefly because the Serenity feels like a place. It has its own character and stuff to it. We have an attachment towards it, yeah. The Jupiter 2 is interesting because the Jupiter 2, there's a lot of them. (laughs) All the Jupiters are the same, which makes Mm. them identical. But I did get a really good sense of the Jupiter and how it functioned. I understood where the cockpit was. I understood where that sort of family dining room bit was. I understood where that I had to go down to get to the garage area and all the supply stuff down there. I love it when I feel like I understand those sorts of places too. I did a really good job with that. I think also at the very beginning, we kind of get a sense of how important 
this space is going to be because it starts with a family sitting mm. around what looks like a dining table yeah. Yeah. playing a card game. And you find out later in the series that Judy designed the living area. Yeah. Like, um, not Judy, um, um, Maureen. Maureen Maureen's like, I designed this. And so it's kind of like, well, she basically modeled it after their own home probably or yeah. like their own living space, which you do She's see like, in flashbacks. what would I like if I was <laughs> on the other side of the universe? Oh, this and this and this. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'd, that sounds like a dream to me, just designing your own home. Yeah, oh, I'd Great. watch a whole episode of Maureen just designing the spaceship. She's incredible. But also too, Something I loved about the show was It's a great episode of Grand Designs, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved how they drove around the cars. It's like yes. such a simple it's such a simple thing. But like during an episode I remember thinking like, what are they gonna do with those when this series is finished? Because I was like, I'll buy one. <laughs> this, is, like, this is what I mean by the practic like the yeah. I was impressed by the production design because it, there was obviously a lot of CGI when you talk about this, the alien landscapes and stuff like that, but the I, I love the cars. Yeah. And mm-hmm. seeing the cars actually driving across these big open plains was so yeah. impressive to me. The location work, they obviously, you said this is their big thing this year. Yeah. I can see why. I hope people are watching this show because it can't have been cheap. Yeah. It really it must is. Have been super expensive. It really is. A, it's like a blockbuster television show. It, absolutely. And to the point where there are some moments in it where I'm like, um, we're used to seeing this in films, not on TV shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the fact that those cars are driving around and, and everything has a practical use. It very, a lot of the aesthetics of the show very much reminded me of the production design of all of Ridley Scott's films yeah yeah um and i was kind of trying i was they really they really lent into that right at the end there a little bit of the alien uh going on aliens i think more specifically yeah yeah. well i guess we've got to talk about the robot we should talk about the robot and will and um and that relationship which very much reminded me of terminator 2 judgment day yes um in the no don't hurt people kind of thing um that relationship between will and the robot and kind of going like be your good self don't hurt people and that relationship it very much reminded me of that from t2 i was getting a lot of um yeah iron giant in the Mm. sense of this thing is a weapon you know it's dinged its head and now it's good you know (laughs) so scenario um, or as you said, like how training dragon and stuff like that. Yeah, the will, the will stuff was really good. I, I was really getting to the end of this season as well, and seeing his complete arc from being the kid that failed the test yeah. and really shouldn't have been on that mission at all. When he was put under the pressure, he wasn't able to do it, and Judy ended up sort of paying a price because of that. Yeah, and then seeing him having to—this is skipping the robot bit completely—but just getting to the bit where he decides he has to go out manually crank, manually yeah. crank. We see that. Yeah, like, that beautiful. journey perfectly mirrored. Well uh, done. I, I, that's storytelling. That's, isn't that nice to see an arc? Um, but the stuff with the yeah the robot is mm. to put that responsibility on a kid to mm-hmm. say you've got for whatever you've reason you've got a weapon. You have this weapon. Yes, it can be used as a great tool. It also has huge destructive power, and it's in your hands. What do you do with it? Yeah. And seeing that put through its paces in so many different ways, mm. from initially getting his family on board with it, to then having to get the rest of the yeah. community on board with it, to then deciding he has to destroy it. Mm. Amazing work for a, yeah. how old is he? Eight or ten? Or yeah, I don't know. It's like it's it's so complex for this little kid. Like he is a kid who's like he was a, a preemie, and he's clearly been taught for much of his life to be afraid of everything yeah. and that to rely on others so heavily. And then he's given this great big responsibility of, yeah, like you said, have have this weapon. Um, but then he has to kind of realise that, you know, he has this robot that makes him feel safe. He finally feels safe, but that that can't come at the cost of the safety of others mm. and how big that responsibility is. Yeah, And it's, it's, I don't know, like this is, I think, my... Yeah, definitely my favorite part of this season. 
mean, it's like, the emotional. I mean, it is. I it's think the, it's, it's the, the poster of the show. Like, yeah. I drove past yeah. a, there's a bill, there's a billboard just outside Melbourne for it, and it's their faces like as yep. big as it, it's him looking at the robot as big yeah. as it can possibly be. And um, every time I drive past it, I just think like, oh yeah, like this is how you sell the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Do we like the design of the robot? Sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting the seeing it CGI when it's got like the four arms and the four legs at first. Terrifying. Yeah. And then it becomes like the Power Ranger guy in a costume. Um, but I, I grew to like it. I didn't love it first of all. Um, it's I thought it was terrifying. The the the, the robot is terrifying. Like the the weird the snapping one with like the oh, the pincer arms, like the crab version yeah. of it. Yeah, but. I think what about the glowy face and stuff like that? Like, does that work for you? The did work, sparkly yeah. face I and the it was very little emotion. Mesmerizing, and I like that you could because what's that thing that humans have that where we see uncanny valley? You talking about no? Un- is that where you see things that may or may not be there? Oh, like you no. look at like some leaves and you can see a face in them. We sort of anthropomorphize things, like we can see there's, things yeah, and an go. Term that yeah. our brain does to do that. We you know, see I, faces in like wall sockets yeah, and stuff so like I that. So I kind yeah. of like there is a possibility for humans to be able to like communicate with this being that just kind of has these weird sparkly things on its face, and sometimes like yeah, no, I I liked the visual of it. What it like what it could represent. What you could put onto it. I was happy it was practical for the most part. Like the CGI was oh, used yeah. sparingly If you well. look at the original robot, it's like, oh, it's, it's just so different. From <laughs> it's so clunky and unpractical. And the, yeah, the update the for it. Head. Yeah. <laughs> the up- and also too, how they work in, you know, it's saying the kind of iconic line of Danger Will Robinson. Mm. Like that was done really well. Like when it said it for the first time, yeah. like. Except like- when. This version of the robot said it. I shit myself. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, danger! And it does. And you have to remember that it almost kills Will in the beginning yeah. um, when it, when they first meet. So the fact that he then overcomes that to kind of go like, oh, I'm going to try and understand this thing that tried to yeah. kill me. Um, that's kind of that's yeah. real interesting kid logic. Like that's something that maybe the adults would have been like, we've got to figure out how to destroy this. And then the mm. kid in the group's like, no, we should try and understand it because it might yeah. help save us. Can and I just yeah say like I loved that because I expected when the robot comes in and like sees like it's now I guess a part of the family and we've got this you know kind of alpha army dad Mm. that the dad was just going to be like we gotta kill it we gotta kill it but that's not what they did it was way more nuanced and obviously the dad could see the good that the robot could do but also this is a weapon that's hanging out with your kid and so he was conflicted and it wasn't like over it was mostly just in his facial expressions that he would give to the robot or moments of just staring at it and being a bit wary of it i i like that because i expected the boring story of like the dad this army dude is just going to be the opposition to Mm. this boy who's just like i love him all that discussion (laughs) though and all that debating about what to do with the robot and so forth or any of the ethical dilemmas that are Mm. in the show throughout is the bit that make for me makes it legitimate sci-fi though the reason i i like it as sci-fi because it's easy to make an adventure film adventure thing like star wars which is set you know in space with lasers and stuff and really it's more fantastical yeah there's no real exploration of this of the ethics or the uh, problems that come with these things but when yeah you bring the robot in yes it's a boy and his dog story but let's really talk about like the pros and cons of having this thing here the risks involved what it means to do it Mm -hmm. Um, the same thing when Judy has to trying to save the guy who's been crushed by the fuel tanker or even when um, John's trying to tell Maureen to like you go and save the kids and she's trying to like you know I'm not going to leave sort of situation when they're stuck under the tar that ongoing dilemmas that they're facing and having to try and problem solve as well as the scientific like, oh, how do we get out of the tar? Um, I love how much time is just spent thinking and valuing people who are intelligent and rational discussion. 
Like, yes. means a lot to me in sci-fi. Yeah, it's not just... Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't an obvious opposition of those who are scientifically minded opposing those who are... Scared. Military minded oh, yeah. or, or scared, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I feel like those tropes, they feel a little trite to me now. I feel like I've seen it before. I see it pr- almost in every big sci-fi blockbuster that's the kind of thing it's like the military is either using science for bad to kind of like you know lead humans to destruction yeah or the military is opposing the 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 science world Mm, um so it's nice just kind of like see them kind of balanced really like these scientists they have military training they are going out to so they can protect themselves but also use science to you know make a new world which Mm -hmm. is nice what do we think about the resolution of that storyline? Because obviously, Will very, very sadly gets the robot to walk off a cliff. I was oh heartbreaking. Gosh. Yeah, it was a great. It was a great moment. It was, and it, it kind of made sense. Like there was, there's only like if they had just had the robot there the whole time without that happening, there would there's there's no conflict there. There's no kind of, and there it doesn't kind of create that mystery of then oh how is because we all know we you know we we know it's going to come back. Like, well, that this is the next bit, right? Yeah. Is that Smith then gets the robot, ends up putting it back together, it becomes her robot, and then Will's got the whole dilemma of you remember me, right? You're good, really yeah. inside, and then through the power of love is able to get. <laughs> Get the robot to how do we, in with all of this stuff when we're talking about like the science and the rationale and the the sci-fi ness of it. How do we feel about like that as a resolution when it just does you know his t- face glitches from red it to blue good. and yeah. Um, I think towards the end, the, the only thing that irked me a little bit about Lost in Space was they tore. I think towards the back end, they revealed a few too many. Oh, by the way, there's a harpoon. By the way, there's a secret yeah. um, <laughs> container. Last two episodes, I reckon, got yeah, a, yeah. a little bit convenient things started happening. Yeah, they sprinted a little bit too yeah. fast towards the finish line. And I think they found convenient ways to do that, which is fine. Like, I, I can understand from a, like when you're staring at a blank page and you're like, how do I get from A to B that you can just go, yeah, harpoon, yeah, secret yeah. container. Yeah. Um, I think those things cheapened it a little bit, but I think that there's enough emotional weight there between Will and the robot. And then we're going to chat about Dr. Smith soon, but I think there's enough going on between them for you to be really invested in what happens. That's the key, right? Yeah. What you said there. The thing is that as much as that's a trope, as much as you can see these things starting to just play out in a, because the script needs them to, mm-hmm. which can be frustrating. I cared enough though. Yeah. That it matter. And they've done so much good groundwork with Will and the robot that I'm willing to go with you on that. Yeah. That's fine by me. Mm-hmm. So I wish it was better, but I'm not going to ding points off you for that yeah. basically. I think the only episode where I literally gasped outside of the pilot because I was like, how are they going to get out of this one? And I had to watch the next one was when they do the mission, the first the first time they try to get off the planet using um, Fodameron and um, I'm sorry, <laughs> and John. To, I'm sorry to that actor because that's all you're ever going to be known as. It's, it's just too good. Yeah, <laughs> where they're in the the, the stripped out Jupiter and yeah. it explodes yeah, in the upper atmosphere. I, I was, was like, like my 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 notes was just like, what the f-? like really did that just happen? Yeah. and and again, it's like logically, especially the next episode, as soon as Will's on the you know doing yeah, the, the Morse code, it's like yeah. okay, right, so that wasn't yeah. ever really drawn. But to see them even go there at all, I thought was like yeah, that's and, pretty daring. And we're living in an we're living in a post Game of Thrones that's era right. <laughs> where you know if anyone I always think when actors get cast on these like prestige TV shows, it's kind of like congratulations. It's like is it really like you know <laughs> yeah. you get cast on The Walking Dead and you're like what a break and it's like see you later. Um, right, yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where I was in that moment I was thinking wow they really went there yeah. like mm. this is huge. But then I was like. 
then I thought about all the family stuff and how it's yeah. kind of a, a kid-friendly yeah. show, and I was like, ah, oh, no, they're like they're definitely not. Yeah. I mean, I certainly had an element of disappointment. I'll be honest about it. The fact that I was like, wow, they, oh my god, did they actually go there on a yeah. family TV show? That can't be right. Yeah, that would have been but amazing. I, but I kind of wanted them to because yeah. that would have. I mean, if they went there, it would have been me. incredible. That's, yeah. that's a whole different story. But. So when I see John and Don floating on a bit of debris in space, I'm like... Talking about it. Oh, thank, oh you I'm shouldn't like, have ejected me without telling me. I'm and like, oh, guys. Like, I mean, oh, that disappointed me. <laughs> that looked, I was like, that feels cheap and I don't like yeah. that. It looked pretty amazing though. Like it was it was kind of like a... F- it, it looked like them constantly teetering on mm. the edge of that like little I was waiting for like Sandra Bullock just to like float past <laughs> in the background. <laughs> don't. That's the... When Will like... Lose his grip and yeah. is drifting away. That's the shit that scares me more. Yeah, yeah, that's the. That's whole my irrational. That's my irrational yeah. fear because it's never going to happen. Yeah. But yeah. that's the one that, like, you can show me any horror film in history, but show me <laughs> drifting away <laughs> yeah. uncontrollably from a did spaceship. Did I see Gravity left. with you at IMAX? Yeah. Uh, yes, you did. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was. Ooh. Yeah. Oh no, we watched it at um, Gold Class. Gold Class. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Except I was eating like a really crunchy hot dog. In the oh. silence of gravity. So it's like some terrifying stuff that you just hear. <laughs> <laughs> You're not seeing um, The Quiet Place with me then. I won't eat, I promise. The Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That the No, I'm with you. The, the cheapness of that, I think, he's at the end. He's pointing people on I an think... audio. <laughs> yeah, and he's, no. like, he's like rewiring this tiny piece of ship to it, do things that it just could not ever do. It just felt without showing, like just saying offhandly, oh, you dejected me without telling me. It's like you took... So often the show shows the solution, right? It yeah. shows you how it was done. It doesn't tell you. And so for it to just sort of offhandedly say, oh, you ejected us, is not to show the complexity of what the fuck went down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did you end up there? That is such a specifically crazy place to be, the two of you. Yeah. I found that a little disappointing. Yeah, it's there's yeah, that's there's, where it starts getting too ahead of itself. Yeah, or, the series does cheat a lot in the yeah. back end, but I, like, I guess they hope that you've suspended enough disbelief by then to kind of go, okay, I believe the two guys are hanging on to the corner <laughs> of a spaceship yeah. and rewiring it for their own game. But look, we got to talk yeah. about, we got to start talking Smith, about Dr. Smith. Sorry, yeah. you're Dr. right. Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith. Dr. Smith. <laughs> uh, well, you, you take over, Cameron. What do you think about Dr. Smith? Uh, played by... The great Parker Posey. Parker Posey. Mm. Yeah. I actually um, made a, a poster for Lost in Space and sent it to Netflix via Twitter that had the poster and I just wrote in big text, Parker Posey is in this. <laughs> because I felt that they weren't selling that enough. Because I think that Agreed. when I first heard about this casting, I was like, you hear that it's Lost in Space and you're like, yeah, lots of revivals are happening at the moment. Eh, like of all the ones they picked Lost in Space, really. But then when they're like, Parker Posey's playing Dr. Smith. I was like, now you've got my interest. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was, my first reaction was, where is she? Because um, in the pilot, <laughs> she's barely in it. And so I was kind of like, oh, Were you wow. like, oh my God, is she playing the robot? Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I was like, is this a ruse? Is she lit? Is she Dr. Smith? But then they're going to do some kind of thing when they kill her off. And, and right. I was terrified. But um, as it goes along, I actually found the way that they gender switched it and then kind of retooled the character in a way that was, I did not expect that. I kind of thought they were going to do the Dr. Smith that we'd seen in previous versions. Well, what What's the previous version Dr. Smith for so, you? Yeah, just kind of like this smart intellectual person that knows what's going on that isn't a crook. That sure. is kind of like, you know, that is very switched on and is you know, opposed to what's going on with the family. Mm. But So in the 90s version, I think he was a... I, actually, in both, I think the six, I could be wrong, the 60s and 90s versions, he's a spy. Yeah, he's like a trying spy. trying to sabotage their mission. Oh. Yeah. He's like a spy trying to sabotage their mission, but he's very, he's very clever in kind of 
that he's clever in espionage and manipulating mm. people, but I did not expect them to take it down the path that they did with Dr. Smith, which yeah. is she's she's kind of more like this street smart. She's kind a of, grifter. Yeah, she's kind mm. of a grifter, a sociopath. Mm. She's the kind of person that drugs mm. her own sister and steals her identity, um, which I guess that's very similar to what a spy would do. Um, but we learn about the, what we learn about her ability to do those things is very much. She's a self-starter. She's not, she's not like a trained spy or Mm -hmm. she's not like a military person. Um, she's very much this person that's been burnt by her own family. Um, and I love the dynamic of her being this kind of imposter pretending to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. but also the show is very much about self-preservation versus family. And so yes. she's all about self-preservation. Survival. Are, yeah, the Robinsons are about yeah. working together and yep. getting yep. off the Robinsons planet. Robinsons are about survival of the whole yeah. and Dr. Smith is about survival of the self. Yeah. Which is yeah. a nice bit of conflict there. And so, yeah, I really love that. And I think Parker Posey um, does what she always does, which is she does this whole like – Hey, and like she's very warm and then she, on a dime, she can kind of go, she can switch to being really sinister and creepy. And I think the the moment for me in the series where I was like, this is working is when she's like watching them sleep. Mm. Right. Um, And she's kind of just. felt sick. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of like observing them in a way. And then once you know, and then you see her kind of Googling like psychology and things and you learn, you find out that she's a fast learner. I think, yeah, yeah, I think the retooling of Dr. Smith was done really, really well. And I think Parker Posey kind of become, became a really interesting villain um, who is also a person. So when we were talking about vulnerable characters before, Mm. I think a lot of people in television shows struggle with. Um, female characters like that sometimes. And so because we've got Maureen who's so righteous, mm. it makes sense that at the opposite end you've mm. got someone like Dr. I Smith. I read somewhere that- in a comment that someone wrote um, – Dr. Smith is the Joker to Maureen's Batman. Yeah. I was like, totally. I'm that's down what it is. for that. Yeah, I'm down that's for that. That's what it is, yeah. though. It, it all comes down to those two. I'm really yeah. glad that John is barely involved in yeah. that yeah. at yeah. all. He's yeah. barely around for any of this mm. stuff. And so much of it comes down to Maureen and mm. Dr. Smith. It's a really, really yeah, cool their, dynamic. All their scenes together are <sighs> a dynamite. Dynamite. Like, it's yeah. just so great watching those two actresses work together. And also... You know, they're talking about they're talking about things. They're not talking about John. They're talking about all kinds of different things, and they very much are intellectual equals. Just on in the same way that I guess kind of Judy and Penny are. Um, yeah, they're very similar like that. It's just that Doctor Smith is willing to go to those extremes, which I think when you see that flashback of her drugging her sister, yeah, um, that was a scene that I was like, I, yeah. whoa, like this is really setting the table for this yeah. character in a way that I don't know what she's going to do. I mean, I love that they have made her a sociopath. Yeah, like, yeah. I love. I mean, it's very much like the talented Mr. Ripley where like she will go in and figure out where what she needs to be. Like if she needs to be a psychologist, she'll just start reading books and be able to like remember yeah. it and fit into that. Mm. She's completely manipulative and very good at that. I love the line of like, you remind me of my brother or you remind me of my sister because she knows people react positively to that. Yeah. The There's a line she says about, you know, why do you say this or whatever it was. I was like, because it was what I was meant to say. Yeah. And mm. just understand, it's that whole understanding of, I don't mean this, but I know if I am meant to say that, that's the thing that you'll react to. And just that innate Mm. ability she has to do that. All this, every time she's talking to Will, I just get like creeped out. Because the (laughs) way she talks, because it's so well done. It's so deliberately 
how you talk to a child and get them on side yeah. with you and get their trust. And you're like, you're the that least kind trustworthy of person ever. Voice that's quite creepy. Just when you the, think about you it. know, uh, this is your idea. Mm. I'm just agreeing with you yeah. here. Um, I love all of that it's stuff. It's not with your her. fault, or it is your fault. Yeah, I was like, that was be. a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've seen mm. I've seen a lot of chatter online where people are saying like she's underused in this, and I'm like, no, you're a bunch of liars because you haven't watched the whole thing. Because yeah. I think <laughs> once they get into Hannibal Lecter territory with her locked behind doors and she's mm. talking to them through vents and glass windows and I think the direction in those scenes is really good because they frame her face so like I was watching there's one scene where she's framed through a vent yeah. and it's perfectly blocked so that her eye line is through one and her mouth is through yes. the other and there's no blockage yes and um, I was just kind of blown away by that because I was like this is this is a director that understands they're getting a great performance and you don't want to have it things getting in the way but you also want to have that wall between them mm-hmm. um, and I just found all those scenes so fantastic and even like the scenes where she's talking to John and she's kind of going like uh, and she's like doing all this passive aggressive stuff and planting seeds of discontent yeah. with yeah. him trying to derail Maureen things Maureen just wants to get rid of you I'll, how convenient <laughs> yeah. but I also love the, the the characters that she's talking to aren't dumb like John no. understands that she's trying to yeah. manipulate yeah. him well a lot of the criticisms I saw were saying that because of how they were writing Dr. Smith, it made the other characters look dumb. But I didn't get that. I mean, there was one scene with Don in which she convinces him very quickly that she made a mistake about taking the flare gun. Like that scene, that was resolved very quickly. But, but what I liked about how she did it was she still made it... This is always the thing that works with these lies, right? You have mm. to have an element of truth in it. Mm. or do So what she she did, she admits that she took it, mm-hmm. right? And But she says it was because I was scared. So she makes herself the victim. Yeah. And yeah. that's always the thing. She always ends up playing mm. the victim or plays that part to yeah. make you sympathetic towards yeah. her. And I think she, oh, kno- she knows that dumb. Don wants to be a hero. He would yes. like to see himself yeah. as that. So when she... She knows that. She's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so she makes herself vulnerable and then gives him the most awkward hug, second only to Voldemort's <laughs> hug. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then kind of leaves and walks away. So like... Yeah, I don't know. It happened very quickly. So I can understand why people think that Dr. Smith's actions make the other characters look dumb. The thing is, well, no I didn't one... Have the, it didn't have that effect on me. They didn't have a reason to distrust anyone at the beginning as well. That's exactly the thing. Right. Everybody's meant to be there. There's meant to be the yeah, best of the, be the best. best. They're meant to be working together. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They've got no reason to distrust anyone at that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's only later on yeah. and then everyone's attitude changes uh, towards and as well. when you have such like few resources and such like few people around you... You're going to like, you need to rely on others. You need to have faith that they are, you're all working together. And that's what, and that's, I mean, it's it's the Robinsons. That's what they're going to do. And also the Robinsons aren't like, they're nerds. Like they're not street smart. So (laughs) you can't expect them to be all knowing because if the Robinsons are perfect, then you've got no drama. Like you've got like, Mm. you've got no way to manipulate them. So it does make sense that like Dr. Smith is this character that is able to manipulate um, all kinds of different aspects of their personality for her own gain. Because otherwise, if they would just be able to go call her out, she'd spend the whole series locked in a closet and And just be like, I love that she says that she's a psychologist. Therefore she (laughs) can like, take whatever emotion they might or suspicion they might be feeling about her and be able to be like, oh, well, you don't know your own emotion because I know – because they would respect academics because yeah. she's studied it and so she can like twist yeah, it and around so her. they start questioning themselves instead. Yeah, I think she like she starts taking referrals at one point. Like yeah. there's like yeah. people and she's like, send them to me later yeah. in that kind of Parker Posey kind of way. I when Maureen was having a chat to her and Angela calls Dr. Smith on the phone <laughs> and it's like she puts her finger up, she's like – Sorry, it's a patient. Yeah. No, I was just like, so good. good. And yeah. I also love that she's wearing like these 
swooping oh, like her like her outfits. I'm like, yeah. that's what a psychologist wears. She's yeah. like kind of hippie-ish. I'm surprised she's not wearing like clogs and stuff. Yeah, and she wears just, a bum yeah. bag. She wears like a bum a bag, bag for like ninety per, like towards the end she's got this and she has this big shawl scarf thing yeah. over her shoulder and her hair is the extraordinary. Hair is the she best. is at a meditation retreat. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and I love it. So yeah, in the beginning her hair is like there's like six stages of Doctor Smith's hair in the show, but it's like all disheveled in the beginning in the flashbacks. Mm. Then on the ship it's a little bit samey and then when they're on the planet it's just like volume yeah, yeah. it's like as hair her power goals. grows so yeah. does her hair and then when she gets in the spacesuit at the end and she's kind of got she, her plan is executed and she's mm. kind of like this is my plan they give her this amazing like 60s style kind of swoop and yeah. it's all mm. kind of patted down and she looks like i mean like i, th- I, I think parker posey has always been um you know has been such a a beautiful she's she's great to look at and she's an interesting face mm. and she's just different from other actresses in a way that i think makes her stand out but when they frame her in that scene you know she's meant to be victorious so she kind of she very much looks she looks very kind of first lady mm. type. yeah that's true um, yeah. and i just loved the way that they showed that transformation just from a hair point of view mm. like i was just like wow her hair has told a story <laughs> um which is amazing and i think parker posey is the kind of actress where if you're gonna do that she's the one that can pull it off. So Lost yeah. in Space Emmy for hair and makeup. Yeah, as well. definitely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, she's fantastic. But um, how did you guys feel about her backstory? I wanted more. I mean, I loved seeing her kind of be so brutal towards her sister. Like straight up, just like that moment when I was called Selma Blair. Selma Blair, <laughs> yeah, guest star, great little cameo. <laughs> One scene. Yeah, good on her. Um, it's like realizes, and then Doctor Smith's face just like changes and Selma's like oh that's right I remember who you are and then she's in like the mirror and like I loved all that stuff I was like oh this is sinister this is really dark but I I need I need more information yeah I really do do you guys remember what her real name is June Harrison yeah I think it's June June it is June June yeah her sister was Jessica I think Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But apparently people were saying, because the original actor of Dr. Smith, I think, is John Harrison. Ah, so that's probably, there you go. Uh, it was something Harrison, uh, something like J. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Clever. Yeah, there you go. The, did you ever find her plans a little befuddling? Like, I'm not really sure what your goal is here. You're just sort of doing your Jokerish thing, messing around. I, I had to, like, remember... I had to like go back and be like, wait, what's what what's the It relies end on a lot of here? things. It relies on like Angela has to find the gun at one point and sort of manipulate that yeah. point and like really make like there's a lot of I mean her whole thing is manipulation, but it did mm. seem like there were some like convenient things have to oh, happen totally. in a certain way. It's, yeah, I kind of understood like I, I never really understood what she was gonna do with the robot because yeah. I forgot about the ship. Um mm. but yeah, I was kind of like, okay, she's going to get the robot and then what's she going to do? Just like murder everyone and then be like, I'm alone on this planet. Like it, like that didn't make sense yeah. to me. But once they, once her and Maureen are on the ship together, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is the way out. But still, like even if she they do escape and she gets back on the, the ship, um, the ship's not going to let her back on in that alien craft, right? I think like, yeah, I think the thing for me where it started to go, okay, I can ride along with this, was just seeing her, there was a bit where Maureen asks her to trust her. Mm. And like she's played this whole thing about I'm not the villain, I'm the hero, and she's like, yeah. right, prove it. Yeah, she's that's like, a great scene. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and ultimately, <laughs> what it comes down to is that she's projecting her own uh, disloyalty, or she cannot be mm-hmm. trusted onto everybody else, and that motivates so much of it. There's that I need to survive. That means I need to be, be bigger and better than everybody else, and me to be the strongest. And I can't trust anybody else that's here. Yeah, and that I think motivates all of her actions ultimately. And if yeah. you put it through that lens, her 
crazy behaviour does start to have some sort of weird deranged logic to it, I think. Yeah, because the, the monologue she gives her something about like when her mother died, her, uh, her sister became the star of the family and she just became like the one that wasn't loved and mm. that's how she learned to like... I kept waiting I for the bit where she was like, fan of that. why yeah. so serious? And it changes every time she tells it though. Like she could totally <laughs> yeah. get out of the Joker yeah. bar. I d- yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, think that's the case. Yeah, yeah I didn't... I, I understood why she would hate a family like the Robertsons. Like it's kind of like if you come from a family that has kind of fallen apart and you see like a happier family, you're going to be like, oh, I hate those those nerds. Mm. Um, I can understand that. But yeah, I kind of... I was expecting a little bit more from her backstory in terms of how she became the way that she is because, yeah, yeah it just felt odd for her to go like my mother died which is a huge deal mm. but then it didn't they didn't really kind of explain how she went from like processing that grief which obviously she still hasn't processed to oh i'm going to become this like manipulative sociopathic person yeah mm, for personal gain like it didn't make sense uh, unless yeah, her would... dad was doing sus stuff yeah i mean <laughs> fingers crossed for that um <laughs> into, into darkness yeah I, I would love to see how this like small child big be- developed into a sociopath absolutely but this story of whole you know the whole just you know my dad loved my sister more than me didn't work for me I was like she is such a cool character so enigmatic if you are going to give me the backstory it better be yeah. more interesting than I, that. I can't believe that's just it every sure, time I'm she sure. tells that's a story every two. time she tells yeah. a story it is is relatively resembling something that's true, but always off a little bit, whether it's her name or whatever it is, something's always not 100% correct. When she tells the story about when Don and her to other people, I love the the way she... The dynamic of the degradation of a family. Yes. Because she's telling the story to to Maureen. Maureen. She's like, you're going to love this. You're going to love it. Yeah, well, how how cool would it be? And like, let's get into like Reddit thread theorizing. (laughs) But how cool would it be if in series two, it was like, she's not who you think she is. She's just a rich person that's super bored and became a sociopath. So she's from this super happy family. Maybe her family is the 1960s version. I'm not saying the 1960s version like canon, but I'm saying like, what happens if her family are all super nice, super happy, super friendly, and she's just the odd one that never fit in and got bored and just Mm. like, Instead of enjoying this lifestyle, I'm just going to destroy everything yeah. around me. That would be a awesome. Original Penny became Dr. Smith sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Yeah, right. That'd be awesome. But um, but also too, yeah, I think with her, they leave the door so ever so slightly open mm. with especially the speech that she gets from Maureen where it's like all the times that you've betrayed us, you still came back to help us. So yeah. she does end up kind of being that, you know. Well, that's that, what I that like one. is that she's not bad just to be bad. Yeah. It's all about surviving yeah yeah and it's only when her survival conflicts with the robinson's goals yeah. that, that she becomes a problem which i like yeah and that has to be the ongoing thing though as well that's the place they have to get to with this is that eventually dr smith has to start being sus obviously yeah. by the mm-hmm. end of it she is but they need to keep her around if they're going to stick with the original lost in space dynamic where it's that family on a ship plus Dr. Smith and a robot. Yeah. yeah. And that's sort of where they've gotten to by the end of the series. Mm. So they had to make sure that there was something about her that was redeeming redeeming at least. I mean, I, with this show, and I think maybe this might be a reason a lot of people had a problem with Dr. Smith or her role in the show, is as I was watching it, I was like, I'm not overly sure that Dr. Smith is the main antagonist in this season. I think the antagonist is nature, is the planet itself. Yeah, definitely. Which is, definitely. 
in the way of the Robinsons' goals is, in fact, also in the way of Dr. Smith's mm-hmm. goals. And sure, sometimes Dr. Smith does have that antagonist role when their goals do kind of intersect or, sorry, depart from one another. Um, but ultimately, it is the planet that is the antagonist. So yeah. I think people wanted more clarity on Dr. Smith's goals so that she could fit into that antagonist role. Well, when people said that she was being underused, I think they mean that as well. So much mm. of her thing is like just manipulating people behind the scenes. She sets up a domino, lets it go, and then waits for things to happen as mm-hmm. well. So she's not actively being out. Like the environment is constantly, yeah. constantly trying to kill them. getting in the way all the time. And so when Dr. Smith is just doing these little things and being a bit creepy and weird, just mm. wandering around the Jupiter... I can I see why people might feel that way that she's being underused, but yeah, ultimately I don't think yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't true. think she is, and I think yeah. as we go into season two, what we might see is because now they're really in this alien world, mm. seemingly surrounded by robots, kind um, that perhaps Doctor Smith, while very strange and some very different to the Robinsons, and sometimes their goals will be very different, might actually start to become a little bit more of a protagonist from time to time as well, which could be very interesting to kind of see a family that obviously values connection so much be stuck in this place with someone who doesn't understand the value of that at all and may not have the capacity to understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of room with Dr. Smith for kind of like the learning, like that mm. she she's kind of kind of she's going to become like the cool aunt of the Robinson family, <laughs> um, which they could do that, or they could make a, a tragic figure where you know she kind of once she becomes accepted, then she becomes someone that is going to you know sacrifice herself yeah. for the Robinsons. So or even just the tragedy of not being able to change, yeah. of just the Robinsons want her to be better, but she never can be. And I like the idea of, say, okay, if we are saying that she is definitely a sociopath, her developing a connection to Will because he has been kind of seen as not the ideal, not the one valued, the weak one, that she can kind of see a bit of herself in that. You know, she's like, the robot chose you. And then the robot like chose chose you again (laughs) chose you again but also like chose me she can kind of see herself in will and it's pure like their connection on her side is pure narcissism but that could be confusing for will who sees it as affection and that could be a really interesting interesting yeah i think like season two as well after hearing you talk about dr smith i'm now really excited of the prospect and maybe i should contact you and get you on the writing stuff but (laughs) i'm really excited on the prospect of season two exploring like her teen years or her yeah. t- or a younger Dr. Mm, Smith or, yeah. you know, just put, put Parker Posey in a week, another week. <laughs> another week. And she can play a teenager. I mean, I, think I don't she think she ages personally. No, she hasn't aged at all. Yeah. Um, I think she could easily play a teenager still. Um, it'd be really On great. American TV, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be so cool too, like having her kind of like go back to doing like Days to Confuse style like that. But it'd be great. How good would it be to see like a – a, pre, a Dr. Smith before she got crushed by whatever changed her mm. yeah. or whatever. Like, I think maybe that, that, that they could be the flashbacks yeah. for season two. Like, we get more, a more, a yeah. bigger understanding about who she is. Because, yeah. yeah, she still is a little bit of an enigma at the end of the first season. Absolutely. And like you said, we don't even know if what she's saying is true mm. at all. Mm. So, how do you feel about the the final moment? Because if they don't make a season two, like, people will might riot. Like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very gutsy ending. <laughs> um... Yeah, I mean, it's it's 
so basically we've just got through a full season where we've gone, okay, this was our problem. We had to escape this planet and now let's go to a new place that's going to be mysterious and dangerous and figure that out too. My biggest concern with that sort of ending is like I like that it's become that, prototypical what Lost in Space was. It's just the family and the robot and Dr. Smith on a ship and they're lost, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. But my big concern is just that are we just going to try and do this again but on a different alien planet next yeah. year? Like, my, I had a similar pro- worry about... No, no similar worry. I had worries about sort of when season one does something so successfully, can season two be something different or will it try and recreate what the first season did? I have a little bit of that worry about Westworld. I haven't watched any of season two yet. But season one seemed to be so successful in doing it. It's like, don't want to spoil Westworld, like timey-wimey stuff in there. Mm. I was like, can you keep doing that and keep pulling that same rabbit out of the hat? I'm a little bit like, I'm looking forward to what's over the horizon, but also like, can we just keep doing the same thing? Or is it going to be different? Who knows? Well, I, in doing my research, and I... I'm about to say something that could be completely wrong. Mm. It probably is because I don't know what I'm talking about. But I think <laughs> in the second season of the original show, I think there's like a trial that the Robinsons have to go through. Oh. So I'm wondering now that the Robinsons, the only humans in that area, are now in robot territory and it seems the humans have stolen uh, sentient robot engines that yeah. perhaps the Robinsons might be headed for that kind of situation ah. again, which could be interesting. We see more of the robots. We learn more about their society, their mm-hmm. culture, kind of widen, broaden the world a little yep. bit more. Could be interesting. Who knows? Mm. What, were your, what were your thoughts, Cameron? Yeah, I, I'm just kind of like, oh, they better make a second season because um, oh, it's, see, yeah. it's, it's a... Uh, it's, Why I order? Yeah, <laughs> not many shows kind of go out on a gutsy kind of like, uh, okay, yeah, they're lost. Like it's called Lost in Space and then they get lost again at the end. It's kind of <laughs> like, okay, like... That's fine. Um, you can very much do like an alien to aliens um, in terms of like ramping up the stakes and changing things in the second season. But Just make it plural. I was not Works excited. Yeah. <laughs> Lost in spaces. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't that excited at the prospect of a robot alien world because how many of them just like staring at you and doing like a light show? Wow, yeah. Can wow, you stand? Wow. Unless we're going to find out that th- those robots are like the butlers of this world. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and there are actually kind of like alien, like there are different types of aliens um, yep. because I don't think that unless they do a trial, like maybe they're going to go on robot trial or whatever, but there's only, they're going to have to introduce like a reality show. <laughs> they're going to have to introduce other human like characters mm, or yeah. CGI. Yeah. They're going to have yeah. to introduce those. Cause otherwise I don't think I could take a whole season of them just being on a planet of like, you know, fancy looking robot Lamborghinis and just yeah. kind of like, <laughs> and then just them all going like, what's the robot trying to say? And the robots do speak in kind of single sentences. So yeah. yeah. I do like the idea of like these evolved kind of humanoids who have, have AI yeah. walking around. Makes sense. Yeah, but maybe they might introduce some concepts around kind of like, yeah, maybe they take them to their home world and you find out about, you know, the history between mankind and alien kind and it's kind of like this mm-hmm. is how the the um, the engine got stolen or this is how humans became aware of like alien technology. There's certainly the the mysteries they put up when we started to find out there was even suspicion around the meteor, which yeah. only really shows up in a flashback in like the second last mm, episode yeah. or something like that. Which is definitely like, the engine, right? Which is the engine, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think that's what they were implying. At the very I, least. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm it's the engine. 100% sure that's what Yeah, it's the engine. Was, yeah. And so like, are we going to find out that like, did the human shoot, shoot, that, down? shoot it down? Yeah. Or 
did that was that something that's like a bleed? Are they even in the same universe? Are we going to see an alternate universe? Like, what happens if they introduce the concept? Is this Donnie Darko. Yeah, what happens <laughs> if they introduce the concept? It's the engine. Oh you know, are we going to see the Robertsons with goatees? Like, you know, as the <laughs> evil versions <laughs> of themselves? Did you watch Star Trek Discovery? Does that mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of Discovery. Yeah. So, I mean, um, Lost in Space. Did they find out about what was happening on Star Trek Discovery and kind of go <laughs> oh, show notes? Um, but yeah, we could be dealing with an alternate universe here, and maybe there is going to be um, alternate versions of the characters that the Robinsons know from their own world. So maybe it's going to be like, you know, Maureen's boss mm. from yeah. her universe might be a character in this alternate universe. We don't know. But I think, yeah, there's heaps mm, of potential yeah. for adding new characters and aliens and things yeah. like that. When Fringe I was thinking about, yeah, like alternate universes and stuff, I was like, oh, alternate timelines. I was like, oh, they're probably not going to do it because it's a kid's show. And then I thought of Doctor Who. I'm like, Doctor Who can play nah, with time yeah. and do all of this kind of stuff. I was like, no, kids can follow that. Yeah, I think they, they'll definitely go there. Mm. Could that be a secondary meaning behind the two interlinking like Venn diagram circles? It's not the binary stars. It's the two universes that are like bleeding into each other. (gasps) I like that. That'd be really cool. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, there's so much they can play with. And I think that's why I'm very keen on seeing a second season is that I kind of want the payoff of that final moment of going, okay, where are they? When are they? Yeah. Um, And what, what are the stakes of this new universe? Because obviously the easiest way to do it is like, how do they get, it's like all about getting back. So you kind of, you're in that kind of, Back to the future space of kind of like okay yeah we got to get back, um, but I think yeah I hope they go down a path where it's a little bit more exciting than that where it's kind of like and it brings in everything that we've learned so far about the engine and about the relationship between humans and aliens and the fact that maybe the Robinsons are going to learn some hard truths about what's been going on and the government and all that kind of stuff so that could be interesting but then how do you bring the family down? like where's the family at? That's probably They've my got, biggest concern. I guess there has to be like a difference of opinion on something. So, yeah. you know, Will, through his affection for the robot, maybe is like more uh, more open to communicating or cooperating with yeah. these. Others are more hesitant. You know, Smith can start to talk in people's ears and get them yeah. feeling a little bit, I don't know, you start making them conflict over some yeah, ethical, and es- moral And essentially, um, Dr. Smith is kind of like going to be like a prisoner going into this new world, kind of like... Mm. For I don't a think, time, at least. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're going to be letting her out. So, will she spend the whole next season behind glass and just... She's the one they, they go to for advice in like I a mean, Hannibal Lecter. I mean, that could be way. amazing. Like, that's one thing I loved about those moments that we have her locked up is that she feels so menacing because we as the audience and the characters within the story also are slowly understanding is that she's not a physical threat. It's what she says. It's the words that come out of her mouth that are the the danger. Yeah, I actually, like, whenever that happens in any TV show or film, when you actually genuinely feel like don't let them out, like, Mm. it's, yeah, I think she actually achieved that. You really were like, like, oh, God. Stay away from the fucking door, Will. Don't let let her out. And she's not the kind of character that's, like, stabby or um, is, like, going to do like ninja moves on people. So the fact that she managed to create yeah. this dread just She's by like using the her words. She's like snake with mm. the hypnotic eyes that just like lures you yeah. into strangle you. Car, that's it's great. Yeah, I actually did re- – there is a really great profile of Parker Posey in the New York Times. And I read that. It was really good. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think a lot of what she talks about in the interview, I think – you t- like I love it when you read profiles about people and you're like, this makes sense why – this performance is great because you get it. Like you've understood this character and you've done the research and you've brought your own thing to it. And I think after reading a lot about what Parker Posey did to prepare for the role and how she views herself, I think she actually, you reference talented Mr. Ripley. I think she she references that in the interview. So I think I'll always love that. So I think it makes a lot of sense why that character works so well in the show. 
Cool. We we were talking um, before a lot earlier about the set pieces and so forth. And I just want to re- come back to that a little bit. Talk about the other character in the show, the planet. Sorry, <laughs> I hate that too. You know, it's its own character. New York's its own character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, New York, look it's out, the fifth lady. <laughs> it's a love letter to the Lost in Space planet. No, the <laughs> the I just want to go through a couple of like the scenario, not even a couple. Just list some of the scenarios and stop me if there's any you really want to talk about because I just kept I found it so much, so much of it exhilarating. The crash in the ship at the start. Having to escape from the ship, Maureen gets injured. Judy freezing in the ice, obviously. Penny has to do surgery so on her own cool. mum. That was crazy. Mm. That yeah. was the bit for me where I was it's like, this is a kid's steak. show. She's cutting her mum open. Mm. That's pretty kids, crazy. Kids love that stuff. <laughs> With Judy in the ice, I just yeah. want to go back to this. Yes. That's a when great name she... for an album, by the way. Judy in the ice. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, we see Because like, we have those close-up shots and there's a moment when she realises that like all hope is lost. She is going to die. Yeah. And it made me go... Oh my god, this is a kid, and I can see in her fucking eyes that she's coming to terms yeah, with her yes. own death and freaking the fuck out. That was a big moment yeah, in the pilot. The, the yeah. choice to not try and do some like CGI trickery outside shot through the ice, mm. see her, always keeps in that helmet yeah. and just keeps that sense of suffocation mm-hmm. and yeah. keeps her isolated like that. It was really, really cool, really effective. Yeah. The diamond storm. That happens in the next oh, episode. That's right. Like I know it's so long ago, right? When they're all just being pelted yeah. with like rocks from the sky. Mm. Then the other survivors show up. That's the dish falling on Maureen and John. Uh, Maureen being dragged along by the balloon. You know, she's setting up to go yeah. into oh, yeah. and and just gets ouchy. That was something else I loved. Constantly seeing the physical damage. Yeah, Maureen's they like beat up a lot. Up. They were. There was grazers and shit all over them. Then Maureen ascending into the upper atmosphere and then realising that just a black hole's going to kill and them eventually. And like, oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. The dino dog things at first weren't doing it for me in a great way, but the scene with Penny in the tent with... The, like the seeing the ripples of the water and stuff, the very Jurassic Park. Yeah, that was good. I thought that was quite well done. Um, then there was taking the fuel from the teetering ship and having to like science their way through that as well. Um, then there's driving across the field with all the geysers going I off. I loved that sequence. Yeah, that was great. I was that so was pretty excited. exciting. I was like, oh God. Then you had the dilemma of choosing to save the guy, save the guy, save the fuel. Then the guy dying anyway. I love that that happened. Yeah, that's good. She that was a, a big choice. She did. And mm-hmm. it was cool to not make that easy because if there's just the, well, he's alive victory, then you don't have to worry too yeah, much about there's yeah. no fuel anymore. But and once um, that's gone, it makes such a big difference. Yeah, and it's a show that acknowledges the collateral damage for everything that they do. So the scene where John makes um, his son pile all the rocks up on the mountain yes. to say like to say like these are all the people that died, don't forget them. I think TV shows that have a lot of collateral damage always like never it's just like oh yeah like it's like the red shirt thing from Star Trek. It's yep. like so many people die and they never acknowledge it whereas in this show it's kind of like this many people died, let's try not to make that happen again because yes. it's not good for us. And so the fact that yeah, you really feel the consequences of death within this show um is it's like it's it's a really great thing because it makes everything feel a little bit more real yeah i think us as viewers learn that because sometimes you have to retrain your brain that death does mean something because so often it doesn't and judy has to learn that she might want to do be the the gryffindor and save everyone and jump in Mm. but that it's not practical it's that that's not life like you might want to do that 
in the moment, but you have to think long term because this is the situation we're in. Mm. Then there was the bit where the chariot gets stuck in the tar, which I was getting to a point a little bit where I was like, fucking everything is trying to kill these people. They can't get a catch a break for a second. But when they actually went under and then I was like, I don't know how you get out of this. And the solution to that too... Yeah, I Terrifying. thought was t- it, just watching them execute it. Like yeah. in terms of having to use the like oxygen tank because mm-hmm. the thing was filling up with helium. Seeing that expand, yeah. seeing them crawl through that. Yeah, and then they get like it's really, and then they get really horny like yes. after. <laughs> and it does that really great thing in pop culture. It's like death triggers sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like they're just all over each other like teenagers. Like they're in the forest like. Yeah. T- Stealing kisses and stuff And I'm just like Oh it's like It's like The marriage is back <laughs> But actually The little cute little button To that scene that oh, I loved helium, Was the helium the I love you I was like That was well earned yeah. That was yeah, Didn't yeah. see it coming either yeah. And then The last one I really wanted to talk about Was just the The episode spent Trying to get John prepared For going up in the Jupiter mm. And the oh, Apollo God. 13 style Like we just oh, gotta yeah, work yeah. With the bare basics here yeah. Which is kind of What the whole show Is about in a lot of ways mm-hmm. Is just like Problem solving with what we've got and making it work. Yeah. Um, but that one in particular really sold it for me and it solidified why I was because I, I love Apollo 13. I was like, oh, poor John. It was John. so good. Oh, poor John. Yeah. It was so great. All that stuff. They always made them feel stressful yeah. and, and like there were stakes. Together, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was failing. And oh, all hey, you it. know what? And you haven't mentioned that just scared the crap out of me was the um, fuel snakes. Oh, the, eel. the eels. I, I didn't mention that because that's that's my least favorite episode of the season. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't find the fuel snakes all that oh, compelling. Man. They're just the design of them and the concept of them just kind of creeped me out big time. But um, yeah, it kind of what it did was it set the table for like what creepy crawlies would exist on this world. Sure, yeah. So I was kind of like, the, if yeah. there are fuel snakes, I'm like, there's going to be some real nasty stuff. They could have gone a bit further with kind of exploring the flora and fauna kind of thing. Oh, there's a fair bit of it, really. Yeah. I mean, you had like the the, and the flowers that cl- when you clap they opened yeah. up I and stuff. That, that was great. And I then love the that. beautiful purple jellyfish things that went into the sky, like yeah, the light show that. with the amazing score at that moment too yeah. I was getting like super Spielbergian vibes yeah. at that point yeah. and then the bat things at the end which sound like Metroids that I thought were fantastic <laughs> as well they, yeah. were, they looked cool as well when you saw them up close yeah and um the only other thing we haven't covered off is that, um, and you don't see it a lot because I think they chop it out of a few episodes, but the um, the opening credits do a really oh. good job of establishing the whole kind of like NASA human history of space exploration. Um, I thought it did a really good job. It, the human opening, possibility. Yeah. like it. It, it was very uplifting like whenever, because mm. I, I never do the script skip credits thing. I always find it puts Netflix me in the mood. Netflix doesn't for me so often. It's just yeah. like next episode. Oh, wait, it's a minute in. I always, yeah, I always oh, like... Oh, really? Yeah. It, I always get the skip intro. Yeah, it gives me a moment to kind of get my my brain in the headspace of the show, yeah. like especially when you're watching a lot of stuff. So the credits give me a bit of room to breathe and kind of go, okay, what's this show about? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And every time the credits played within this show, I was like, oh, I felt like so motivated. I yeah. was like, yeah, like we can do anything. And then it's like, oh, the Robinsons are getting killed by a planet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that human endeavor that like we yeah. can just yeah. bite through smarts and ingenuity, make this work. Yeah. is definitely heart central to the and show. And something I think a lot of people that don't like this show are missing is that you have to look, if you look back at the history of Lost in Space and in, in television in the 60s in general, is that like pretty much every TV show made in the 60s is a ripoff of a TV show called Wagon Train. <laughs> so Star Trek is a ripoff of that show because yep. it was basically like, space. what if we made this Western show about a wagon train? You know about that. And mm-hmm. set it in space. And so every show was like, okay, it's this, this concept in space, this concept in somewhere else so and a lot of those early american shows are kind of tapping into that kind of like pioneering american spirit of exploration um and kind of 
venturing into the unknown and but the kind of Americanness of it is you know oh yeah we're discovering our own country and then in Star Trek it's like we're discovering new worlds going where no man has gone before and so Lost in Space very much fits within that 1960s television template mm-hmm. um, so of course it's got to have that kind of sense of discovery and adventure and so when people are like it's not gritty enough it's too boring duh, 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 I'm just kind of like this is the type of show that it is. It's not trying to be anything else. That 1960s nuclear family yeah. that that used to exist, that's not what modern day families look like anymore, yeah. not how we understand them to be anymore. So yeah. updated, it's perfectly updated for that. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I loved I loved the crumbling nature of the Robinsons as a family. Um, mm-hmm. Like as I think I mentioned right in the beginning, that was something that I really liked because if you did a ha- shiny, happy family – then you would be parodying Lost in Space. Or you would mm. be doing um, like, you know, the Brady Bunch films? Yeah. yeah. How they're like a really great parody. But I love, love those. Same. <laughs> I love them too because they're a parody, but they're also a tribute yeah. well, at the same time. When I was a kid, I didn't realise they were parody. Fortunately, for the first yeah. time, oh, I really? just enjoyed them as being like... Yeah, like just, poking fun at Brady Bunch. Just Well, no, late, well later on, yeah. I, that's why I'd start understand them as being like, oh, this is really funny. Yeah. But like, it's made by people that love the Brady Bunch. Yes. Yeah. So they're not making fun of it. They're going like, we love this and we like, understand how absurd it is. They go deep into the lore of the... The yeah, they yeah. Do. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So with Lost in Space, if you were to do that, like the family as they were in the '60s in 2018, you would be then doing a parody, yes. or you'd be doing something like yeah. that. So I actually like the the ability for the creators and the showrunners yeah. to kind of go like, "Hey, we've got this property. We're not going to be nostalgic with it. We're just going to make it very 2018." I yeah. can well, understand. Yeah, I like that they modernize it in the sense of like, yeah, like you said, how we see the family, the d- family dynamic. But with a lot of the complaints I saw, it's like. We have this expectation now that if you're doing some sort of genre piece, that it has to like revolutionize the genre. I was like, no, it no. can just yeah. be a genre piece. This yeah. is what it is. Yeah. We modernize it through a lot of the sensibilities. It's diverse, very, you know, rich family dynamic that is complex. That's the modern part. We're not mm. trying to revolutionize sci fi. Yeah. I think I think I've seen people go. Well, why is this even called Lost in Space if you're not going to stick to the like what Lost in Space was? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just find that very short-sighted. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I can see the argument for like you've got a property, so you got to make something out of it. Like how we're redoing Roseanne or mm-hmm. Will and Grace, or even movies are trying to make anything that's ever been a pop culture hit at any stage in yeah. reality, especially the '90s, into a film. Yeah. Um. Then you know that there's a cynical nature to that, but. Ultimately, when the result works, it works. Just, yeah. just accept it. If this is how we need like, to get good stuff made, then yeah. fine, whatever. But if it's good stuff, then let's just appreciate that. Yeah. And also, do you have to remember, it's in, it's one of many things that we have now in the television landscape. So, I think sometimes people are just spoilt for choice. So, mm-hmm. that we're so used to kind of like quality TV in the age of peak TV and the golden age of television. <laughs> it's like... You know, like all that stuff is happening, but TV shows can still be good in different ways. It's just not, they just don't have to, not everything has to be like what we associate with peak TV. Not everything has to be Breaking Bad. Yeah, not everything has to be Breaking Bad. (laughs) You don't, Lost in Space doesn't have to have the same characterization as The Wire. Not everything has to be super depressing and full of anti-heroes. that's like this is this is a fun show. Um, And I think that, yeah, if you want anything else out of it, you're not going to get it. Buddy, you're making me want to change it to four. I'll be <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of mistake. Just bumping it up. <laughs> Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. 
I've got some side notes, um, just some quick ones to go through. Just a couple of nitpicks mainly because that's I like to do that for some reason. Like, that's what I love for. doing mm-hmm. that. There's a line that Maureen says uh, when they first get on the planet. Um, if the air was toxic, you'd be dead by now, which I thought was a big call. <laughs> How is it? Maybe it'll be toxic and kill you over a few hours or a few days. Yeah, it might just be a Come pathogen on, that slowly Exactly. Kills you. Yeah, that was out, very Maureen. short-sighted. <laughs> um, I didn't realise this until I saw it in the credits that John Williams did the original ah. Lost in Space theme. It's, oh, really? Yeah, it's in the credits. I was like, ah. wow. It was used, I actually thought it was used quite sparingly yet effectively. I, I agree with that as well. It was used when needed, as needed. And in the opening titles, was it was pretty good. And it was funny. It wasn't a huge reimagining. It was very faithful, I thought, to yeah. sort of the... Because the, the, the theme song's the just kind of like, it's just a cook kind of play yeah. on repeat. So in the show, it was like whenever something significant was happening, they just kind of pressed the Lost in Space <laughs> button. <laughs> um, you know, the last time a pretty lady offered me protection, it was because we... I hated Might it. be the grossest line I've but ever also, heard. also, it's like such it a so badly structured joke. It's just like, it doesn't... I get what they're trying to go for. But it's just badly written. What I was worried about was the next word was going to be, lady, I don't need protection. And I was just like, fuck you, buddy. It just made me feel really <laughs> gross about Don. I just didn't like and that I at all. I just thought the writing was terrible. Yeah. Uh, felt like l- clunky. Little thing that annoyed me as well. Do you know how Don went back into the spaceship that was tilting off mm. the side? Why couldn't you have done that a little bit earlier? Not here. <laughs> the fuel yeah. was still in there when it wasn't even such a big deal. Um, something else, Maureen was, uh, Dr. Smith said she's a quantum physicist. Mm. And Maureen is already doubting her. Just ask her a basic quantum physics question, yeah. and you'll find out <laughs> yeah. real quick if she knows what she's talking about yeah, or not. Definitely. I was like, that was a little bit short. So, and the only other thing, which is actually a detail I liked, there's a bit where the dick face leader guy, whose name I can't remember, mm. is approaching Will after John's gone up in the Jupiter and exploded, and Penny's just had a conversation and left. And as the guy approaches and starts to talk to Will, she sort of just does a bit of a turn and looks and just checks that he's not going to be a complete dick to Will. Yeah. Like just, just a little bit like, oh, no, you're, you're okay. Old and then walks away. Yeah. I just loved it. It was such a little thing. And the camera even took, or the edit took the time to show just that little acknowledgement mm. of like, you're going to be okay? Oh, you're okay. All right. And then walked away. Yeah. I just thought that was a really nice. Yeah. That's Penny. like a real big sister thing. Like it's, um, I think uh, the dynamic between the kids is really good from that point of view, which is like, and to your point earlier where it was like, they're not Hollywood kids. Like yeah. Yeah. I think those actors did a really good job of kind of actually being proper kids teenagers and proper kids and they react the way that you would expect family a family to react one other little detail i just thought about as well i thought judy was like this weird mix of river and simon from firefly she's got some very similar like summer glow mannerisms and stuff but she was also the awesome doctor like simon from thing i kept getting a real summer glow vibe from her the way she spoke and like some of her mannerisms and stuff like that i i i Hmm. wonder if they're going to explore it further but they very much did hint that like her intellect was the 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 result of being able to probably not connect with others as much Mm -hmm. like she wasn't very emotional and very much her arc throughout the show is learning to become a little bit more emotional um but i wonder if that they're going to kind of explore that in her backstory and we have to find out about her parents yeah Maureen is her mum. That's what it said. Yeah, Yeah, he's not her dad is what... Yeah, and they state that a lot. He keeps like... I mean, it's... (laughs) It's pretty obvious, but um, <laughs> but um, what would give that away? No, but there are moments in the show where, like, I think there's a piece of dialogue where John goes, "Well, I'm not her dad, like, <laughs> I'm not her real dad," and I'm just like, "Okay, for the people in the back, like, yeah. is it clear now?" I, I found it interesting because I assumed, I don't know why I assumed this, but I assumed that she was adopted. That was my initial and yeah, then when I as well. found out that Maureen was her mom and that obviously she was born before John was in the picture. I was like, yep. "Huh." 
Yeah. I don't know why that didn't occur to but me that she would be a biological child. Because I don't think that happens very often no, to it just doesn't. understand yeah. that there was yeah. a separate family that started earlier yeah. that you yeah. brought with you. I don't think that happens very often. It with, doesn't. Because that means that when John was dating Maureen, she would she would say, I have a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, a, that's really interesting because it's that's one of those things where when you see it done in other shows where it's like, that's like a whole episode. Where Absolutely. It's, like, it's a huge drama. this person mm-hmm. that I have a kid. Absolutely. And even in reality television shows and stuff like that. But the, that's the thing. When I say it doesn't happen very often, Why the thing you is, say, like, say that like you watch reality TV. I saw one thing. It was like married <laughs> was, at first sight, and that was oh, his big oh, thing. Is yeah, he had to tell it them just, it was just on the TV <laughs> while you were making dinner. <laughs> yes, I thought you were saying while you were making love, and I just was like, <laughs> oh, oh dear, oh, <laughs> that is uh, not a fun night. Well, I uh, never need any protection, so. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's the thing. It does happen a lot in real life, that scenario. Mm. It just never happens in television. Yeah. Do you have any other side notes, either of you guys? Um, yeah. I, something I did really like about the show, and this kind of goes back into what I was talking about earlier with the whole videos on the Jupiters that look like display homes, which is kind of that interesting thing that pops up in sci-fi a lot of the concept of a utopia and how it's Mm. just like a completely crazy concept. So the idea of a utopia and the idea of a perfect family, like it's like kind of like a delusional concept Mm -hmm. that we always constantly keep chasing. And it's something that pops up a lot in a lot of really great science fiction storytelling, just good storytelling in general is that like the, anytime there's a utopia or the idea of a utopia, it's like, this is not going to end well because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, and so I really liked how in the show it was like, this is what they're trying to achieve and you get to see bits and pieces of it and how like they're all meant to be perfect and smart. Mm-hmm. But because we're human, there are still going to be problems. And yeah, I just love that. Yeah. I loved it a lot. And I love that Will, who is not meant to be there, is such an integral part, obviously making a connection with the mm-hmm. robot of the story, is that yeah. he really does need to be there. Well, he fucks a lot of shit up. Yeah. Um, it's in, it's important for him to be there. Yeah. But you know what? In any other show like this in the wrong hands, he would be like the Sheldon Cooper of mm. the show. So he'd be like the know-it-all kid that's like, yeah. Dad, you put the, the you divide the three instead of the four. And he's like <laughs> he's like the smart one and he's like he's like precocious and mm. annoying. But yeah, the fact that he was kind of like a flawed kid that fucked up yeah, a lot. Yeah, anxiety and Yeah, and yeah. he and he like in that final bit where he cranks the thing, he fucks up because he slips on the ship and they catch him. So he still makes a mistake stake even in his kind of heroic moment which is um which is yeah which is really interesting so yeah i kind of liked that flawed side of their characters very much just on the utopia thing it reminded me of a line that i felt was a bit icky as well where maureen (laughs) says to penny it was like well steve what's his face isn't isn't going to alpha centuri i was like Fuck you, Maureen. You're staying on an <laughs> earth that's dying. You horrible human being. That's so Steve is like, probably going to die from all the carcinogens in the yeah. air. Exactly. Like, what? Like, Jesus, Maureen. But hold on. Child? Hold doing? on. But like now that we've kind of know, now we've kind of spoken a bit about Maureen and like her first partner. Maybe Maureen's trying to protect her from, like, trying to protect her her daughters from. The you know their their own thirst. You know? <laughs> so she's kind don't of don't get in dangerous work. situations because yeah, you won't be able to control yeah, yourself. Like, Boys, <laughs> we have, it's like it's kind of actually when you think about it, like from a parental point of view, it's like oh shit, my teenage daughters are starting to be interested in the in in you know in those kind of things. It's like yeah, let's get off this planet. <laughs> and somehow they found the only peen in space anyway. <laughs> amazing, amazing. <laughs> you can't stop it. All right, we're gonna wrap this up. Least favorite and favorite episode, starting with you, Damask. Least favorite episode. Uh, my least favorite is probably episode five, which is transmission. Um, one I had I had that problem with Doctor Smith 
convincing Don very, very quickly and too easily. Kind of like the conflict immediately was just gone. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's Because if we, all fine if, if that was around, everyone would be suspicious too quickly and it would be over. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they're building the tower and Maureen is building her balloon and I felt like I was waiting for things to happen. I mean, generally I was fine with a lot of the pace of this show, but this episode I found myself looking at my phone a lot um, and the conversations that took place while I was waiting just didn't seem particularly interesting or give me a greater insight into character and quite a bit of time was spent on Penny and her love interest, which mm. I wasn't super keen on. So that's why I've chosen episode five. Cameron? Yeah, I think I agree. Or episode five. Yeah, for me, that one was kind of the weakest of the bunch. And it's like right in the middle. So I can kind of see why, why like, you know, it's kind of an episode where they're like at a crossroads in terms yeah. of like how the story's going to progress. Yeah. You can feel the weight of the show, but you're like, oh, okay, we're in the middle and it's yeah. stuff's happening, it, but we're not quite And it's there on the yet. cusp of like a huge revelation, um, yes. which is like obviously what they find out about going up into the atmosphere in the balloon. So, yeah, um, yeah that whole episode is just kind of designed yeah. around yeah. that reveal. And and I think, yeah, yeah, the end of this episode, we have the survivors find out about the robot. So that whole time we're kind of waiting for that to happen. And it does, which is great, which propels us into the next few episodes. Yeah. But this whole episode is kind of waiting for that moment to happen. Sure. For me, mine personally is episode three, Infestation. And it's not for anything. I think you guys actually make better points than I do um, about why that was a weak episode. I just didn't find the eels to sort of be all that compelling. I thought the try, sort of the monster in the, in the water thing that they kept doing wasn't that effective. And maybe it was because it was so effective in the first two episodes with like yeah. the ice and stuff I just was like oh this is nearly as good as what where we were before and I was getting a little bit worried that maybe the show had was peaked. sort of had peaked already <laughs> um, but then the, it definitely picked up for me as it went on so yeah. I was happy with it but I just found myself looking at my phone a yeah. little bit more in that episode than, than any other. They do stay in the ice for a long time. Like that, well, that was the episode where they're finally the ship finally, was out. They're finally out. And yeah, you get okay. to the end of it it's like oh it feels like Act one is over, or the yeah, first yeah, yeah. arc is over now. We yeah. can move on to the next one. Favorite episode, Damask? Episode one, because um, I was hooked. I love the ingenuity shown by all of the characters. The pacing was good, although I know a lot of people disagree with that, but they're wrong, so that's fine. Um, I felt the tension the whole way through. I immediately loved all of the performances and was particularly blown away by the kids. Watching Judy freak out, like I said, that close-up, that really affected me. I was like, holy jeez, I'm watching a kid slowly realise that they're going to die. That's pretty messed up. And Robot. Meeting Robot was exciting and scary. And then having Will win him over with kindness was beautiful. And then Will and Robot returned to save Judy in the nick of time. And I was like, yes, thank you. That was awesome. I want Robot to be my best friend. It's amazing that Robot doesn't get a name except the robot. I like it. I like it. Cam, what about you? Favourite episode? Um, it's a tie for me between the pilot for all the reasons that have been mentioned. But also I think it's either episode eight or nine or the episode that contains Dr. Smith um, locked in the, the storage room. Um, I think that's episode eight or nine. In the storage room? In the storage room where she, uh, the initial... Uh, like where Nine she gets out at the very end because yeah. John blows up. Yeah, so eight, I think it is episode eight, the one where the one that where um, she's just in that kind of closet and she she yeah. does the reveal to Will that oh, she yeah, has yeah. the robot head. I think just yeah, it's oh. kind of a tie between those two episodes. It must for me. be episode eight because she's talking to John through that and she's saying how yeah. 
uh, Maureen's actually going to sabotage, is like yeah, going to yeah. blow you up, basically. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's a tie between those episodes just because I think yeah. the, e- right, the first yeah. episode is pretty much tells everything that's great about the adventurous side of the show and kind of the, the danger and the action blockbuster aesthetic of it. But yeah. then I think episode eight um, sells kind of the Dr. Smith side of the show cool. very well. Mm. Makes sense. Mine's episode one as well, as we said, for exactly mm-hmm. what you said. So I'm not going to go too much deeper into that. Do we have any predictions, hopes, or concerns. I think we've talked about a few of these yeah. already, so don't need to go too much into that. My only other hope I wanted to mention is that for me, Penny just didn't get enough to do this season. I hope they find her something that's beyond boys mm-hmm. in season two is the big one for me. I think that's it. This is quite an epic episode. Oh, oh sorry. Yes. Wait, I have one more note. Yes. Um, when John is talking about his kids in that final episode with Don up in, up in space, and he's talking about you know how... How much he missed his kids, or whatever he wasn't good, well, or whatever. And Don says, "I wish you were my dad," and he's yeah. like crying. I just thought, I was like, I wish the line would have been like as a joke. You bored me to tears because <laughs> we, as the audience, would know <laughs> it's an emotional response. But it would have been like, "Oh yeah, Don is charming and funny, yeah. but I'm yeah. not quite willing to go there." Anyway, I thought it was you a should tweet at directly at the writers like, about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> wrong. Do it that's, again. That's something really fascinating. I don't know if you guys have picked up on this with all of the Netflix shows, but they definitely. I find the Netflix series definitely are very audience responsive. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there are certain characters from season one. You know, are we going to see Don's backstory in season two? Mm. Um, are we going to see, you know, more from some of the teen characters? Um, I'm going to be really fascinated to see how um, they respond to things in season two. In the way that with Stranger Things, you could obviously tell in season two, you know, there was suddenly more Steve Harrington for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Um, and certain characters got a little bit more air than the, people the rest. people love this. Give them more. Yeah. So um, I'm going to be really interested to see how that happens. If we, like, we haven't even got the announcement of two yet. So um, I'm pretty sure it's coming, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. The first tweet I'm definitely sending then is <laughs> do not make Judy and Don happen. Yes. Inappropriate. Do it a lot. I'll, yeah. I'll retweet that one. Yeah, do not Once ship a day, that. I'll send them through. <laughs> This has been an epic episode of the podcast, but I've really enjoyed it. I've had a great time. Cameron, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no really, worries. really, really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again, especially if we do a season two of Lost in Space. Yeah, we'll jump, I'll be there. Grab me on for that. Uh, thank you very much, listeners, for listening to Hunting Seasons as well. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at bgordis, B-G-O-R-D-E-S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter at and Instagram at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Cameron, where can people find you? And I am on Twitter on at MrCamW. Very good. Uh, thank you to Sean Kirkpatrick, at, a.k.a. at Shawnee Boy Draws for our logo and design work. Thank you to Jordan Calavis for our theme song and Lucas Hull of B- Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. You can find the links to their work in the show notes. If you enjoy what we do, we'd really, really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might enjoy also listening. And we really appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wh- whatever podcast podcast platform you prefer. Too many P's. Wow. I should rewrite that. Next week, uh, Damask and I will be back to discuss the People versus OJ Simpson American crime story. Mm -hmm. Very excited about that. Until then, thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. EarbudsNetwork.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.